Why, hello, Dean Rhodes. Hello, boys. I just heard your show. <laughs> <laughs> you thought it was funny. <laughs> Not remotely. <laughs> Before I came here, I looked up your grades. Now that's entertainment. <laughs> Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a whoop No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. This is the Married with Children podcast, and today we are going 90s retro on the podcast, so we are broadcasting as WMWC Radio. And all of the co-hosts today put together are still not as fat as Rush Limbaugh. My name is Steven, and I will destroy you. And ladies and gentlemen, it is with great honor that we have with us today, the world's top Steve Rhodes fan himself, and former co-host of this podcast, Jerry Herring. Jerry, welcome back to the show. Before I came here, I looked up your podcast. Now that's entertainment. <laughs> we are reviewing Season 9, Episode 24, Radio Free Trumaine. Original air date, May 7th, 1995. In this pilot episode for a proposed new TV series set on Tremaine University's radio station, WHIP, DJs Oliver Cole and Mark Campbell host several hours of unconventional and overlooked programming. After a probing interview, divulging the past of Tremaine's new Dean of Students, Steve Rhodes, both Oliver and Mark are kicked off the air and expelled from the college. Marcy arrives and upon hearing the news, she tries to get revenge against her ex-husband by leading a feeble on-air protest against their expulsion. But their protest doesn't attract much attention. Meanwhile, Bud is dating April Adams, a fellow student and intern from Marcy's Bank, who is also being pursued by Nikolai Pushkin, a rugged, handsome basketball star from Russia. When Bud desperately attempts to seal April's affections away from Nikolai, Mark happens by and secretly broadcasts the conversation over the station and calls it Hot Talk with April. Mark, Oliver, and their new show become so popular that dozens of people turn out for the protest in which Steve backs down and lets them stay on the air and at the college. April ends up rejecting both Bud and Nikolai, as well as a job at Marcy's Bank to remain with Mark and Oliver at their radio station. I think that was the longest one we've ever had to read. Of course, it gives away everything, too. Yep, it does. But we still have jokes. Director, Jerry Cohen. Writers, Richard German and Stacy Lip. Guest cast, David Garrison as Steve Rhodes, Eric Dane as Oliver Cole, Andrew Kovit as Mark Campbell. That sounds like COVID. <laughs> Timothy Elwell as Nikolai Pushkin, the lovely Kerry Russell as April Adams, Joseph D. Reitman as the stoner, and Buck the Dog as Buck the Dog. I thought it was April. 
and uh, the great Annabelle has a couple of other things to add uh, to the anonymous posting. So we also have Sandy, uh, the voice background, who's uh, Catherine Cavadini. Jill, uh, another voiceover, was Amy Daniels. And the voice of Buck the Dog is Kim Weisskopf. Bud Bundy's hosting a sex talk radio show. Before I met you, a hot date was when my rubber woman got her thigh stuck on the radio. Married with children tonight at night on Fox 11. Now, Jerry, thank you so much. I mean, I don't think we could not have done this podcast episode without you. You know, uh, it's a bittersweet episode for us, and it is that is the final appearance of David Garrison as Stephen Bartholomew Rhodes. And it's a real big treat to have you on here. And I know all the podcast fans, all of our loyal fans worldwide, uh, definitely wanted to hear your thoughts on this. So thank you so much. Not a problem. You know, I got to be here to represent my boy, Steve. Uh, you know, I was here last time for Steve. I got to be here this time for Steve. We got to represent for the best character on Married with Children, in my opinion. Hey, I agree with that opinion, too. <laughs> yeah, and like, I guess like, you know, we have, uh, you know, Steven, who's a Steve, and we have Jerry, who wants to be a Steve. And Jerry, I don't know if you know this, but on one of the other podcasts we pointed out, podcast episodes, uh, I have the same birthday as David Garrison. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. You know, I think Jamie had said that, you know, you would be so jealous about that. <laughs> I would. I am. What a man I would. I am. I'm currently, I'm currently filled with, with jealousy and rage and I'm thinking about doing to you what Steve did to Bosco. <laughs> Would you object if I changed my name from Stephen Walter Scott to Stephen Bartholomew Scott? I mean, I don't think there's any objection. It, it shows great honor to the great forest ranger of our time. <laughs> Greatest loan officer of our time. The greatest limo driver of our time. That's right. <laughs> and soon to be the greatest college dean of all time. That's right. <laughs> so the title of this episode comes from a common name for radio stations in conflict areas fighting for democracy. You know, Radio Free fill in the blank. The most famous being Radio Free Europe. Radio Free Europe was created and grew in its early years through the efforts of the National Committee for a Free Europe, NCFE, an anti-communist CIA front organization that was formed by Alan Dulles in New York City in 1949. Radio Free Europe is also the debut new single by American alternative rock band R.E.M. released in 1981 on the short-lived independent record label Hib Tone. R.E.M. was formed in Athens, Georgia the previous year, 1980. The song features what were to become the trademark unintelligible lyrics which have distinguished R.E.M.'s work ever since. The single received critical acclaim and its success earned the band a record deal with IRS Records. R.E.M. re-recorded the song for their 1983 debut album, Murmur. The re-recording for IRS became the group's first charting single, peaking at number 78 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. The song is ranked number 389 in Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. In 2010, it was added to the Library of Congress's 
National Recording Registry for setting the pattern for later indie rock releases by breaking through on college radio in the face of mainstream radio's general indifference. The song was featured in the 1984 movie The Party Animal. Hold on, I gotta throw something in real quick. Do you ever think Steve wishes he had a radio-free Marcy during his marriage? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he wanted it many times. I'm sure Al would have joined him for that one, too. This episode is the second of three episodes for Married with Children, which were potential spinoff pilots. So, you know, the first spinoff attempt was uh, Top of the Heap. That episode was reviewed by Alex, Dan, and Jamie. That was back in season five when, Jerry, you were occasionally coming back as a guest co-host. That was also kind of in the early days when we didn't have, like... Like, we didn't have, like, a full-force worldwide research team. It was just kind of all of us doing whatever research we could find on the internet, and apparently there was a lot more we could have found out. Uh, It would be interesting to go back to some of those episodes and, like, do, like, an epilogue for them where we're like, here's all the things we missed. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, uh, the, the third podcast team to work on this will not do that. Maybe there'll be a fourth. (laughs) so again so as i mentioned this is the second spin-off attempt and the third one is enemies and i guess we'll talk about enemies when we get there and we all agreed to do it drunk right yes so we we've actually jerry like sort of in our script notes you know because we have a whole schedule in terms of how we record these you know we just said that when it gets time to enemies Uh, the entire cast has to have at least four beers in them before we get started. Like, it's crazy. I like it's it's crazy to me. Like, uh, like the last episode that I recorded because it was Steve episode, the amount of production and scheduling and like just sophistication into the entire how the podcast is made now is so insane to me because it used to just be me alex and jp would like just pick a day and a time and try to get two episodes recorded and hope that we could record two more episodes before those two episodes came out and now there's like google docs and schedules and a google drive like bravo y'all y'all have stepped up the the podcasting game you know i want to i would like to give credit to Luigi for that. I mean, he had the Google Drive. It was a brilliant idea. And when we started to get together, he was taking charge and saying, we ought to divide into teams, and we've done that. We've got the schedule out, and we've been recording, and uh, and we're ahead of schedule. I mean, this won't air until probably another three weeks or so. And we're, we're just trying to stay ahead of the game. And I, I refer to Luigi as our executive producer. Now, I mean, that Alex still holds the title of, uh, you know, creator and executive producer. You, you know, Jerry, I mean, and to our audience, you know, this is the only way we could do it. I mean, myself, Stephen, Annabelle, Matt, Chris, Tyler, we were all fans of you. You know, we, we idolized you, <laughs> listened to you guys every week, especially once I found the podcast uh, back in 2018. And when Alex said that he couldn't do it and couldn't continue on 
we were like, this is the Married with Children podcast. And the show goes on to season 11. And we were like, we have to complete this. So the only way we could do it, unfortunately, was by breaking up into teams. And I think, you know, when we originally, I mean, the way you guys originally did the podcast, it's like you really, you know, took everything week by week. And, you know, I really give a lot of credit to Alex for being able to produce these things week by week, you know, and even for you guys to sort of record them almost in real time. But for us, we have to like break it up. So I think what we lose is that analysis, that week to week analysis that you guys had, where it's like, well, last week we saw this and we saw an evolution of the character from this week. So, I mean, we work off the same notes, but we're not as religious about that aspect of the way you guys did it. So that's sort of the best we can do. That's that's fair. I mean, everyone has their own way of doing it. You know what we need to do, though? Like when when it's done, when like it's it's finally over. We just need to do like a, a podcast where we kind of like y'all get to like ask like me and Alex and Jamie, like our JP, like whoever we get get to do it, like have the new crew ask the old crew and the medium crew. And we just get to like talk to each other about making the show, just like a big behind the scenes production podcast. And we can have people ask questions and we can answer them. But like just a big like comparing of how we did things versus how y'all did things. Oh, yeah. Oh, and uh, those are great ideas. And I'll tell you, like we'll be, you know, we are scheduled to complete the podcast by the end of 2022. So about this time next year, we should be recording our final episodes and getting ready to get them broadcast as long as we stay on schedule. And so far, so good. (laughs) But anyway, let's get underway with this episode. I think uh, our fans are really looking forward to this. They are. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I'm here. They better, because Steve's in it. That's about the only redeeming thing in this one. So let's move on. (laughs) Okay. So we open the episode with Bud and a very attractive young lady named April Adams on the couch. April. Bud, um... You said tonight was going to be special, but all we've done is watch bass fishing. <laughs> April, this is special. This is bassapalooza. <laughs> okay, I admit it. I had another reason for asking you here tonight. Will you go with me Friday to the spring formal at Tremaine? That'd be great. You don't have to apologize. I don't even know why. <laughs> You'll go? Yeah. Well, why? But I've liked you from the first time you walked up to my window at Mrs. Darcy's bank. I could tell you weren't one of those jerks who carries a roll of quarters in their front pocket just to impress me. How immature. <laughs> One thing, though, do not tell Mrs. Darcy about the dance. Friday, she's giving me my final teller trainee exam. If she hears I'm going to ditch it, she'll kill me. I won't say a word. See you on Friday? Yeah. Now, I can remember watching this episode the first time 
uh, back in 1995. And like I'd say, like I, I normally don't do this or say this, but I'd say like my tongue rolled out of my mouth when I saw Kerry Russell on screen for the first time. I, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, she is a very beautiful young lady. And I, I was kind of wishing Chris would join us because I knew he had a thing for Amber. I'm thinking that Carrie kind of um, slid into the place of what Amber was. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to know what the rankings are when we get to the season nine wrap-up show for Hot Babes. Wasn't there, um, was Amber the one, okay, I remember reading something about, uh, with this episode, and I'm sure you all get into it, but there was the girl who's, Carrie was not originally supposed to be the, the girl in this episode. Where is it? I have it in my notes somewhere. Or do you have it? I, no, Jerry, you're right. I think I've read someplace that I think it might have been Juliet Tablack uh, was supposed to have been. Uh, we didn't ask her that. We did interview her this season. Uh, I believe that's what it is, unless you find something otherwise. Uh, but I think this was the attempt. And the other thing about this episode was that this episode was supposed to have been the last episode broadcast for season nine. But instead... Like if you look when you look at the production code order, but instead it ended up being the third to last. Yeah. So in a 2017 interview, Juliet Tablack Tablock, I don't know how to say her last name, who played Amber, stated that she was supposed to be in the proposed spinoff, which would have featured her while focusing on Buzz life at Tremaine. She had already signed on for the project before Amber was suddenly dropped from the show and replaced with April Adams, but I cannot find anything that actually said why she was dropped. And, you know, we didn't ask her, like when Chris Gunther and I interviewed her, uh, we didn't ask her that, uh, you know, we just wanted to keep it more to, you know, what she's been doing and, you know, some of her remembrances. But, uh, you know, we had a limited time to talk to her, but uh, that would be a great uh, follow up. She was born March 23rd, 1976. She's an American actress and also a dancer. She came to fame portraying the role of Felicity Porter on the WB drama series Felicity, for which she won a Golden Globe, which is impressive. Russell also starred as a KGB agent, Elizabeth Jennings, on the FX spy thriller series The Americas that ran from 2013 to 2018. She was nominated for a Primetime Emmy and a Golden Globe again. She appeared in several films, including Mission Impossible 3, Waitress, August Rush, Extraordinary Measures, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, The Free State of Jones, and sadly, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Wow, just had to just had to get that jab in. I had to. Sorry. In 2017, she received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. You know, funny enough, her co-worker on Felicity, her co one of her co-stars, Ian Gomez, he also appeared on Married with Children. And uh, that episode was Get the Dodge Out of Hell. Oh, really? Yes. I must have missed him when we were doing that one. Or did we talk about him? I don't remember. Um, I don't remember, but he was one of the car wash employees. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I remember him. He was married to Nier Vardalis from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I remember he played the husband of one of the main characters on the TV show Cougar Town with Courtney Cox. Gotcha. I'm not familiar with that one, but I've yeah. heard of it. But but it's just funny that the that she was on a show with a guy who was 
his episode was Get the Dodge Out of Hell. Steve's last episode that he was on before this was Get the Dodge Out of Hell. And this is her first episode, and it's a Steve episode. Just kind of weird coincidences. And by the way, I want to interject here, because Luigi, you were talking about the production codes, that this was likely filmed last and probably thought of as the season finale. I think the producers made a wise decision not making this one the season finale because you have too many people, you know, you had the two boys and, uh, you know, who were in Tremaine at the radio station. You really don't want to do that in the season finale. You want to give, you know, the audience a taste of the Bundys and what they, and what they do. And so I think that was a smart decision on here. So what's this thing with bass fishing guys? Bass fishing. I, he wanted to put on something that was lamer than sitting on a couch with him. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, who knows? <laughs> so you know, so this is like a, one of those episodes where it's like Bud, I guess, grows a bit of a spine, and here it is. Here he is uh, asking April out on a date, and she accepts. To his surprise. Yeah, and he goes. He goes to his usual mode of, "Well, why didn't you want to go out with me?" And then he has to realize, "Oh, wait a minute," she said yes. He's so used to rejection, he immediately goes to his, you know, preconceived notion or life script. Yeah. So, you know, so I just thought it was funny when Bud says, well, like, why? <laughs> like, like, why are you going out with me? Yeah. And one thing I'll say about Kerry Russell, this, I believe, is like her first major appearance on television, like on a TV show. And she really seems like a natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. She does a good job through the entire episode. And she's very real and very authentic. It doesn't come off as being, you know, wooden or anything. So, yeah, she she hit it out of the park with that one. I do wish they would have written her better to explain a bit more why she's into Bud. Because I just don't feel like they really do that through the episode. They kind of drop the ball. So that feels a little forced. Especially mm-hmm. at the, on the couch, it's kind of fine. You go, you're, you're like, oh... Maybe she finds it funny or, you know, whatever. Maybe she comes from a dysfunctional family herself, so she, you know, clicks with him. But as soon as you you put in the the basketball version of Ivan Drago, it's just kind of like <laughs> you got to start explaining yourself. We, we need words to be used here. Yeah, and I want to come back to Ivan a little bit later when we get to his character. So, so what about the thing, uh, they have that, that, that little joke about, you know, he's not one of those jerk, you're not one of those jerks who carries quarters in their front pocket to impress me. <laughs> and he tosses one aside. <laughs> okay, I didn't get that joke, so can anyone explain this to, like, were they talking about, like, a roll of quarters, as in, like, trying to mimic that they have, like, a big one? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's why they're quarters. I guess I guess a half dollar would be like a roll of half dollars uh, would make him walk funny. Yeah, probably. <laughs> a roll of dimes or pennies wouldn't seem that impressive. <laughs> nickels, maybe, maybe nickels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how how believable is it that you know she's a uh, trying to get a job as a teller, right? My problem with this episode, and it happens a lot is so much of it feels like forced to fit the plot so they can give her like a connection to 
Darcy so they can like slightly so they include Darcy so she can have a reason to run into Steve. And it's just like I don't the the whole episode feels like this. The whole episode feels so forced and the writing was was so weak for anyone in in the normal married with children uh acting catalog. I can't disagree. I totally agree with that. And the one thing I will give this one over the others is that they use more of the actual original cast between Bud, Kelly has a moment in there, as well as Peg. Al and Peg are hardly in it. But you have the Jefferson and uh, Steve and uh, Marcy dynamic. But the other ones did come a lot more naturally, as opposed to this one. Well, yeah, and when we get when we get to David Garrison, you know, I, I have a couple of observations, but you know, we'll, we'll wait till we get there. I was gonna say, even like, because it's like Al and Peggy get one extremely small scene with a couple of good jokes, but a very small scene. Kelly gets hurt, you know, that one scene in there also, and then a voiceover later. Jefferson gets two extremely small scenes. But there's some good jokes. Marcy and Steve do get more screen time, but like even then it's not a lot of screen time. And it's the whole thing is so focused on these two radio DJs that we know barely anything about or who they are. It's like you could I I did not look this up before I didn't look up any information about the episode before. I had watched it again. I've never done research on this episode. So I actually didn't know that this was a a backdoor pilot. And in my notes, I literally wrote, I mean, if they were just going to focus on these two kids, just give me a series with these two kids. I did like them, but this shouldn't be a Married with Children episode. It feels like Married with Children stars are guest starring in another sitcom to try to pump up that sitcom's numbers. Usually sitcoms, when they do have spinoffs, it's another character in that one, like uh, George Jefferson being Archie Bunker's neighbor. Then he gets his own show. Um, recently, they were uh, I forgot who was talking about the episodes of uh, Family Matters. That was a spinoff from Perfect Strangers. Harriet was uh, a friend of Balky and, um, and Larry's. And she then was she the elevator operator. Yeah, and then Laverne and Shirley were a couple of girls that Fonzie knew, and they had a guest appearance. Then they got through. Mork, or Robin Williams, got his own show. You know, th- those characters were introduced there just as one character, and then they spun it off. And this one, they're trying to, you know, show the actual, con- well, not show the conception, but maybe um, they're trying to birth it out of, Married with Children's, without introducing these characters beforehand. I think it would have worked better if they had tried to do that instead. Meet some of Bud's uh, other people who go to Tremaine, other than the that the bunch of uh, losers that he hangs out with. Yeah, I, you know, I actually one of the questions about Tremaine is, wasn't it supposed to be a community college? No, no. He was going to community college before Tremaine. He had to get a, Ah. remember he got the, um, Bud got the 
he was going to community college and then he got uh, accepted to Tremaine through a grant and then Alan Pegg stole his money. That That's right. Yeah. So like, we don't really see him working off the grant, right? Remember, because he had to owe money at the end. <laughs> yeah. The only time we see him at Tremaine is when he's with Miss Hardaway in the Virgin Hotline and in next season's uh, Bud Hits the Books. That's right. I did it, Buck! I got it, Buck! You call that a date? Meet me and the Johnson Schnauzer behind the 7-Eleven tonight and I'll show you a date. So even Bud gets a couple of lines in this episode. Well, he gets more than a few lines. He is a central player. I think they, they, he, he meant a couple of good lines. Oh. D- did I say Bud? I meant Buck. Oh, Buck. Oh, Buck. Yeah. Buck says, you call that a date? He's like, meet me in the Johnson Schnauzer behind the 7-Eleven tonight, and I'll show you a date. First of all, Buck, <laughs> that ain't a date. That That is... Not a date. That is uh, after the date. That's that's the I did the date really well. And Buck, I'm starting to wonder if you got a, a stash of dog bones that you're paying off these dogs behind the 7-Eleven for. Cause, come on, man. Like what? Like it sounds like if your version of a date is what's behind a 7-Eleven, you are paying for your date. <laughs> That's very likely. <clears throat> I will tell you. Well, I start to tell a story, but I don't think it's appropriate. Maybe I'll tell you guys something up there. Yeah, yeah. We're trying to keep this podcast PG, right? Yeah, trying, <laughs> trying. It's harder when Tyler's with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so we have a very atypical entrance for Alan Peck. Daddy, thank you for a great Yep, I love the beef bistro. I mean, how many places are left? If you don't want the vegetable, they substitute another steak. Now, Al, don't go to sleep. You know our deal. When you get beef, I get beef. Hey, when you get beef, I get the heebie-jeebies. So Al says that he loves the beef bistro. I says, how many places are left that if you don't want the vegetable, they substitute another steak? <laughs> I mean, when do they eat? Well, first of all, where does that restaurant exist? Where? That, that is the biggest impossibility since the, the episode that the ending of it had Peg and the children about to jump off of a building. Like, no restaurant is substituting your vegetables with steak. Uh, my kind of restaurant. They might, if you gave a big enough tip. Of course, you're talking about no tip Bundy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, have you ever been to a restaurant where they do like the tinfoil swan? Because I've never been to one, and it makes me feel like I'm not fancy enough. I've never encountered that, no. Nope. <laughs> is it a real thing, or is this just something we see in movies and we think it's a real thing? Well, you know, you also have, you know, life imitating art. I'm sure maybe somebody saw it on, on TV. <laughs> maybe there's a restaurant out there that's doing it because they saw it on TV, not the other way around. Valid point. Yeah, so Alan Pegg have a little bit of banter. You know, when you get beef, I get beef. 
<sighs> Such a good line, but I love it even more for the setup of what Peggy says when she goes upstairs. Absolutely. She's like, I'm going to go have some hamburger helper. <laughs> and I was just like, that is so just clever because hamburger helper, hamburger help her. Like, bravo, writing team. Joke of the episode easily. Yep, absolutely. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, man. I never thought about that until you mentioned it, Jerry. That was kind of like one of those things I noticed Miss Hardaway's name, and Tyler had to think about that for a moment. It's one of those things where, like, it it goes so quick that it's so easy to miss, which is one of the things we used to say back in the day when watching that show is there were so many good lines stacked on top of each other that you would miss a line on your first watching. And then on your second watching, you're like, oh man, I missed this. This is even better than that other line, but I was too busy laughing at that line to understand this line. And that's just good writing. It's excellent writing. And it also reminds me of Grandmaster B. I'd never thought about it until a few years later, what B stood for. It stands for the Hamburger Helper. Yeah. <laughs> well, the man's version of Hamburger yeah. Helper. Yeah, yep. Mom, I have big news. I just asked April to my spring formal. And she said no. Honey, you don't have to explain. It's okay. What you need right now is a, a nice hot cup of cocoa. Al, make the boy some cocoa. <laughs> Well, I guess you're not getting any cocoa. But then again, I'm not getting any beef. <laughs> Mom, where are you going? Upstairs to get some hamburger helper. So that hamburger helper, I guess, is an allusion to a dildo. Hey, we're just crossing to PG-13 now. Okay, actually, <laughs> no. Uh, what's the mascot for hamburger helper? Oh, yeah, a little hand. It's a, a hand. hand. That's right, yes. <laughs> She's going to go help herself. Hamburger, help her. Um, so she is having to provide her own beef. Um, and the mascot of Hamburger Helper is a glove, a gloved hand. So it is an allusion to masturbation, but I don't think it steps into the... Ta I don't think she can afford a dildo or a vibrator, to be honest. I think she, I think she does... Stuff the old-fashioned way, because you know, in, in Wanker County, they they don't have they don't have that kind of money. Yeah, but uh, you know, her, her, uh, don't we have Otis uh, the dildo? I mean, that's been referenced before. Oh yeah, I guess you're right. And I do remember at one time when a, a certain family member, temporary family member, was being told a story that she reached into reached in her bedside table to get like a book out and you hear the, a buzzing going off and he's, and seven is wondering, what is that? And she quickly closes the, the drawer. You're right. I, I blocked that episode out because seven's in it. Yeah. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. Mm. What's for dinner? Hamburger helper, cheeseburger, macaroni. I'm going to make a real good, feel good meal. It's gonna have some good old family appeal. 
keep them smiling with real cheddar cheese. Hamburger Helper Cheeseburger Macaroni. So, so Hamburger Helper is a packaged food product from General Mills sold as part of the Betty Crocker brand. It consists of boxed dried pasta with the seasonings contained in a powdered sauce packet. The product line also features products with other starches such as rice or potatoes. The contents of each box are combined with browned ground beef, i.e. hamburger, water and occasionally milk to create a complete one dish meal. There are also variations of the product designed for other meats such as tuna helper and chicken helper. And I can't say I've ever had any of them. I love Hamburger Helper, specifically Beef Stroganoff Hamburger Helper. When you are poor and you can get a hold of, of a, some beef, it's not always the best beef, but you get some beef and some Hamburger Helper, or you're trying to feed a big family on the cheap, that Hamburger Helper be kicking. I always remember that line in National Lampoon's Vacation when Cousin Eddie says, uh, I always prefer Tuna Helper to Hamburger Helper, Clark. You know, something to that effect. And I don't think they had Tuna Helper at that time. I really think National Lampoon's Vacation inspired the makers of Hamburger Helper to make Tuna Helper. Interesting. Cool. All right. So we now see a brand new set that we've never seen before with two characters that we've also never seen before. And this is Oliver and Mark. This is Oliver Cole and Mark Campbell here on the voice of Trumaine College, WHIP Radio. And for those of you on the football team, that spells whip. <laughs> and this is the Mark and Oliver show where our motto is together, we're still not as fat as Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> so they say that they are the voice of Trumaine College, WHIP, whip radio. And I have that joke about the football team not knowing what uh, that spells. So I did a little bit of research, and there is actually a radio station which is whose call letters are WHIP, so that's 1350 AM, which is a radio station broadcasting an oldies music format licensed in Mooresville, North Carolina. And the station is currently owned by Mooresville Media, Inc., and it has been serving uh, the Mooresville, North Carolina, and Iredale County area since 1950. Where Mooresville finds the super hits they love. 1350 AM and 99.3 FM. WHIP. So in this episode, the call letters are for an FM station broadcasting at 106.2 FM. I cannot help but think that whip is another allusion to masturbation. I just thought someone was a big fan of Devo. Oh man, I remember that old song. TV <laughs> just started playing it. I was like, oh my god. Uh, and now it's playing in my head, Jerry. Thanks for that. You're welcome. <laughs> There's also that 1982 single by Daz Band that comes to mind. 
Yeah, and you know, so the Mark and Oliver show where their motto is together was still not as fat as Rush Limbaugh. So I'll just say at the time, Rush was pretty fat. He was and also, he just recently passed away, right? Yeah, and I just want to say he was also incredibly popular at that time. That's when he had his big rise was in the early to mid-90s. He was everywhere. Er. And this is not the first time that they married children has taken a shot at Rush Limbaugh. Oh, yeah. Uh, Buck the Dog had a reference to him in a previous episode. And it was also related to, to being fat. Yeah, I'd have to assume Rush Limbaugh being a uh, uh, conservative uh, radio host probably didn't like a lot of what was going on with Married with Children in public, but I bet in private he was watching the show. Who knows? I would agree. Now we have a note here from the great Annabelle. So Oliver is played by Eric Dane, the future McSteamy from Grey's Anatomy. And she says that he's really beefed up since married with children. So I guess Oliver, uh, the Oliver character is uh, Annabelle's uh, April Adams to me. Has, has Annabelle replaced what I used to do when I used to uh, tell you what girls you can, on married with children you can find naked pictures of? Uh, you know, that's, you know, we actually haven't done that. Um, we haven't really done that, but uh, I think occasionally you sort of know which ones they are. It shouldn't be done. It was probably like one thing on the show we should have never have done. But for some reason, the idea showed up and we decided to do it. So that is something you should leave in the past. Y'all have elevated above that. Y'all are... Y'all are not as perverted as uh, Steve is apparently in this episode. I can be. <laughs> Eric Dane, who plays Oliver, he actually he, he has a good uh, resume, too. He's been doing a lot of acting. He has 38 acting credits, including movies and TV. And he was in Saved by the Bell. We're always trying to find connections because that was one of Alex's favorites. That was his first role, Saved by the Bell. Now, uh, you know, one thing I'll say is, you know, we're at the, again, third to last episode for season nine. I think when we get to season 10, I think we have like, you know, Playboy Playmate, you know, followed by Playboy Playmate for every single episode. Like it's just like one after another after another. So we definitely know there's plenty of naked women who could find pictures naked uh, in the next season. And I'm sure people can figure it out on their own. They know how to use Google. They know how to use, turn the safe search off and find those naked pictures of their favorite Marywood children fans. I just hope no one wants to find a naked picture of Mrs. Blau. <laughs> hey, I want to say something else too about this radio station. Believe it or not, I was—I did get to be a part-time DJ at a radio station for about a year, and I wasn't super good at it, but I enjoyed doing it. And I hate to admit this, but being a fan of WKRP in Cincinnati, these guys do not know how to do radio. There are no headphones for monitors, and um, they're. They have the monitors on while they're recording inside, and that, that doesn't work. So anyway, just to get that out of my, out of my system. Um, you know, and, you know, the one thing that I noted uh, at, you know, sort of my ent introduction to this episode, I said, you know, we went retro. I mean, effectively, back in 1995, a radio 
station like that, like a college radio station was the equivalent of what a podcast is today. 100%. That's why, like, if when people ask me, like, well, what inspired you to podcast? Easy. There's a movie called Pump Up the Volume with Christian Slater in it. You watch that and you want to podcast or do a radio show or do something like with your voice. And had I had went to a college, I probably would have been like the college radio DJ. I probably would have went that route. Instead, I used the internet and hosted internet chat rooms that I could use uh, my voice in in the late 90s, early 2000s using like Yahoo chat rooms. Oh, yeah. I remember those days. And I think the internet's the great equalizer because now anyone can be, you know, a good commentator on on anything ranging from news to horror movies to married with children or whatever. And yeah, like us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember when uh, I remember, Jerry, when you and I first did that uh, guest commentary podcast on the Steve episode, The Razor's Edge. Yeah. I commented that uh, it seemed like I knew what I was doing. I think part of it was because of that radio experience and also with public speaking when I was a minister a long time. That's true. Alex and I, when I had the idea for that, Alex, Alex was like, do you understand how hard that's going to be? And I was like, no, it'll be fine. I'll teach them what to do. It'll be fine. And luckily my first time was with you. And I think my second one was with Tyler and both times worked out perfectly fine. But anyway, I just think that stuff kind of prepares you. And then I'm sure some people will start out and they listen to themselves. I was listening to the the latest release today and I was on it. And I was thinking, I don't think I was in a groove that day because I kept hesitating and uh, stumbling over words and going back. So I'm hoping to be more in a groove tonight and the next time. So did you ever listen to yourself after the podcast? Um, so I, on my podcast, I listen to myself because I have to edit. When it came to Married with Children, I would listen to them because what you say on a podcast with Alex and what actually makes it on that podcast are two completely different things. So I would listen to them to learn what Alex's keen ear for a podcast and I would go, oh, he cut this piece out. Okay, why would he cut that piece out? Okay, that makes sense. And so I would listen to it from like a a, a production style because, you know, Alex really has an ear for that. Married with Children podcast would not be what it is if it wasn't for Alex. So like, for me, I think everyone, if you're going to do podcasts, go back and listen to it. You can learn from it. I'm sure, you know, people like on on the show themselves will go back and watch their own stuff so that they can see if they did something they didn't like or if they can improve on it's definitely a big thing everyone should do if they're going to do this kind of stuff you don't have to do it forever but occasionally jump in and check yourself out yeah and you know jerry to to your point i mean i listened I mean, I listen to every single podcast. Um, you know, in some cases, I've listened to a, a, the same one a few times. And once I start, I learned how to do the editing. 
especially at the beginning of season eight. I, I think the, the first one that I edited was uh, on my own was the episode with Chris and I when we first were introduced to Chris Gunther as co-host. And what I did was, you know, I, I really wanted to get Alex's sound. So, uh, you know, I finished, I, I listened to it, you know, I listened through it, like added some background clips and I wanted to get that again, that Alex sound. And I think the biggest compliment I got from Alex, because I shared it with him before it was broadcast, I was like, Alex, does this sound like something you would have edited? And when he told me, he's like, yes, it sounds like exactly the way I would have envisioned it. Because, you know, that I think was my inspiration for this. Yeah, Alex is an inspiration on so many levels. When I first found his podcast, The Skeleton Crew, I loved the way he hosted to to be a host of a podcast to be and to be the main host like there's some podcasts where kind of everybody's the host but if you're the the main host the one leading the episode it it's it's so much harder and i became a better host because i started listening to alex on skeleton crew and started just going okay i want to do I, I need to do this i need to do that and then when he posted that he wanted to do a Married with Children podcast, I messaged him that day and was like, yo, let me do this. I just reviewed a Married with Children, po- uh, Married Children episode on my podcast. Let me in. Um, yeah. and, and Jerry, if I'm not mistaken, that was the, um, the Halloween episode with, with the village people, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Peggy was uh, the Grim Reaper. It was fantastic. It was a good one. The only Halloween episode. Yeah, I, I love the introduction that was added to that episode. Uh, you did a great thing. So to our listeners out there, if you want to go back, you should go back and listen to that uh, episode. And we get to hear how Jerry uh, came to the Married to Children podcast. I need to hear that one. I have not heard it. So I will go back. Is that your kill the cast? No, I think um, it's actually on the Married with Children episode. I think Alex... Now, if you want to hear, like, the review I did of the episode with Kill the Cast before Married with Children podcast, I'll send you the episode. But Alex asked me to do a, like, small thing to just kind of explain how I did a review for my podcast on this episode and how it led me to be on the Married with Children podcast with Alex and that's on the Married with Children podcast episode. Okay. That's right. That's uh, season eight, and that was reviewed by Team Australia. Now, remember, we're going to be giving away free limo service to this Friday's spring formal to the student with the most pathetic reason for wanting it. You're on the air. Yeah, uh, this is Bud Bundy, and I'm trying Bud to get... Bud Bundy? <laughs> we have our winner. Now, remember to tune in Saturday for our informative interview with Tremaine's new dean of students. Informative hell, it's going to be pure sleaze. We've dug up enough dirt on this mystery man to make a luau pit for Anna Nicole Smith. We have? Yes, we have. Oh. Ooh. (laughs) Mark, you can't slander the dean like this. You could get expelled. You're right. Where the heck would I be without you, buddy? Thanks. Remember, folks, my partner Oliver will be dissing the Dean right after this main basketball game, featuring the debut of our Chechen superstar center, Nikolai Pushkin. He's big, he's bad, he's a commie. 
All right. So Mark and Oliver say that they're giving away a free limo service to the person with the most pathetic reason for wanting it. And Bud calls in, and just by saying his name, he gets it. <laughs> Pretty classic Bud joke. Yeah. Loser. And then we hear about this very mysterious character who's Tremaine's new dean. And uh, Mark and Oliver say that they've dug up enough dirt on him to make a luau pit for Anna Nicole Smith. <laughs> I was going to say, which is a fantastic joke. If you know about Anna Nicole Smith in the 90s, oh, yeah. that joke's Ooh. so good. Yeah. Anna Nicole Smith, she was actually born Vicki Lynn Hogan. She was born November 28th, 1967. That's the same year I was born. And she died on February 8th, 2007. So she wasn't, she was only 40. She was an American model actress and television TV personality. She gained popularity in Playboy when she won the title of 1993 Playmate of the Year. And when she modeled for fashion companies, including Guess and H&M, Herthanet and Lane Bryant. She dropped out of high school at age 14. I don't know how you can do that. You should have to be 16. She did that in 1982, married in 1985, and divorced in 1993. In 94, her highly publicized second marriage to 89-year-old billionaire J. Howard Marshall resulted in speculation that she married this 80-year-old for his money, which she denied. Yeah, right. And I watched Baywatch for the plot. <laughs> her cases reached the Supreme Court of the United States, Marshall and Marshall on a question of federal jurisdiction, and Stern versus Marshall on a question of bankruptcy court authority. She died in 2007 in a Hollywood, Florida hotel room as a result of an overdose on prescription drugs. That's sad. In the months leading up to her death, Smith was the focus of renewed press coverage surrounding the death of her son, Daniel, and the paternity and custody battle over her, her newborn daughter, Daniel Lynn. So I want to add uh, the reason why the joke is funny in the episode uh, is because Anna Cole Smith was famous for when it came to modeling. She was much bigger than most models. Yeah. She she was way more voluptuous. She was more Marilyn Monroe style than what was really popular in the 80s and 90s, which were these really, really tiny girls, tiny and hard body. So there were certain people that were... Now we would call this girl thick and she would be in fashion... Uh, she would be the biggest thing. And Anna Nicole Smith was well, well uh, ahead of her time. But the joke is that in the luau, the in the pit is a pig. And they were calling Anna Nicole Smith a pig for being a bigger girl. Yeah. But let me, she was gorgeous. Oh, 100%. And if I yeah. was her, I would have married that man for his money too. A little bit of mouthwash and all that money goes a long way. Heck, I would have married him. I yeah. would have married him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So now Mark and Oliver introduce another character by the name of Nikolai Pushkin. Guess what? <laughs> He's right here. 
Hey, Nikolai. Mark didn't mean anything by that commie crack. Guys, I need help. I have painful female problem. Are your cranberry juice will clear that little puppy right up? <laughs> no, I mean I have trouble with girl I date. She is so cute. Such good teeth. Uh, you said teeth, right? Yes. Brace are a dime a dozen. Good teeth are hard to find. <laughs> but I find out my girl got to spring formal with the other guy. What I should do? You should forget about her, Nikolai. I mean, look at you, man. You're the biggest hunk in Chicago. You should be bagging more panties than a clerk in Victoria's Secret. <laughs> or if you don't want to be popping penicillin for the rest of your life, you ask your special girl if she'll go steady and hope she says yes. Oh, she will. Next time you see Nikolai, he will be going steady with April. Hey, later, Radio Goods. Do they let everybody into this country? Was he a, was this last name Pushkin? Is that right? Pushkin, yes. Okay, I thought so. Yeah, so there's a joke here. He says, I have a painful female problem. So he says, you know, I hear cranberry juice will clear that little puppy right up. So he's talking about a urinary tract infection. Uh. So Nikolai says, you know, this girl is so cute. She has good teeth. He says, teeth, right. He said, yeah, breasts are a dime a dozen, but good teeth are hard to find. <laughs> he ain't wrong, though. Like, no, he's not. Like, like, especially considering that joke is very European. Europe is not necessarily known for people with good teeth. There's multiple countries that get that joke over there. So that was a... Americanized European joke. Even though it was said by a Russian person, and most people would think of Britain, but it still works because it's a foreigner talking about teeth. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and even up into the 90s, you know, what I'll say, Jerry, is that, you know, that joke used to be very true, but I'd say probably within the last 20 years, less so. Uh, one of the reasons is, uh, if you remember uh, Dr. Strangelove, right? Uh, toothpaste in in the U.S. for a long time has had fluoride in it. And it's one of the things that helps with, you know, teeth and teeth, you know, tooth decay. And uh, many toothpastes in Europe did not have fluoride up and through this period of time. Uh, but that has changed in the last, you know, I'd say, 20 years, maybe since Y2K. So, you know, you don't see, like, especially younger generations, you know, older generations, yes. I mean, obviously you can't fix it, but I'd say, like, if you're probably under 40 in most of the Western world, you know, Europe, you know, including Russia, like, you don't necessarily see people with bad teeth anymore. Huh. I, I always wondered what the reason behind it was, because I'm like, certainly they brush their teeth. I did not know it was because of them not allowing fluoride in their toothpaste. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, because I remember, you know, traveling to Europe and, you know, you would see like in the uh, pharmacies, it would see like toothpaste with fluoride and without fluoride. And you could still find them because, I mean, some people are against it. But I remember in the famous movie, Dr. Strangelove, right? You remember like the uh, general, you know, he, he's sort of like hallucinating and he like he thinks he's talking about fluoride, like how... Uh, we're being poisoned by fluoride, like fluorinated water, I think it was. Oh, yeah. that comes up all the time, yeah. Mandrake. 
<laughs> Mandrake, have you never wondered why I drink only distilled water or rainwater and only pure grain alcohol? Well, it, it, it did occur to me, Jack, yes. Have you ever heard of a thing called fluoridation? Fluoridation of water? Uh, yes, I, I have heard of that, Jack, yes. Yes. Well, do you know what it is? No. No, I, I don't know what it is now. Do you realize that fluoridation is the most monstrously conceived and dangerous communist plot we have ever had to face? People think there's something in it. You know, the Bundys used it wisely, I think in their sandwiches, if they're out of, I guess that's what they're using, they're out of tang. I was about to say, I <laughs> had a Bundy sandwich. There was no fluoride in my sandwich. Yep, that's right. <laughs> and, and you know, Jerry, I did the same thing. I don't know if you've checked out the YouTube channel, but I did do a, um, a whole thing on tang, like all of the references to tang on Married with Children. You did, uh, so you did the taste yeah, test of them? I did. Oh, I got to see this. I, I did. And let me tell you, Tang does make ta everything taste better. <laughs> it's not necessarily the taste. It's the texture of Tang that's not dissolved in liquid. Like, it's just it's this weird, it becomes this weird grit. It's just not, yeah. not how I'm having it. Uh, did anybody do a toothpaste sandwich? I thought um, Justin did, didn't he? I, I want to say JP did. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant, JP. Because I remember it on the Patreon. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's starting to blend. Like, we have, like, you know, over uh, 200 and uh, almost 30 episodes at this point between uh, regular episodes and bonus ones. So everything's starting to blur for me. That's true. <laughs> Mm. Uh, so Mark and Oliver give Nikolai some uh, advice on his girl troubles and we don't know who that girl is uh, until he exits when he says he wants to be going steady with April and then we get introduced to bum, ba -da -ba 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 -ba, Dean Stephen Bartholomew Rhodes Why, hello, Dean Rhodes. Hello, boys. I just heard your show. <laughs> <laughs> you thought it was funny. <laughs> Not remotely. <laughs> Before I came here, I looked up your grades. Now that's entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this is going to be my first radio interview at this college, and I don't want you future fry cooks to screw it up. That's why I'm here. Well, that and the cheerleader tryouts in the quad. <laughs> So, before they get to the cartwheels, I want to give you the spontaneous questions you'll be asking me. You want us to do a sham interview? We may only be students, but we have principles. Me too. Never be late for cheerleader tryouts. <laughs> Ooh, and it's windy too, yowza! The greatest college, Dean, to only ever have one episode of Married with Children. As a college dean, that is. As a college dean. I thought he was better as a limo driver. Um, yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I, uh, 
there's a I really don't like how they wrote Steve on this episode. Like the the pompous side of him, like I get. The extremely perverted side of him, I think, was a little too far. I would agree on that. He was acting more like Jefferson on that aspect as opposed to Steve. Yeah, definitely out of character. Like, don't get me wrong. Steve had some some moments of pervertedness, especially when egged on by Al. But this was just a little too far. I understand it's a college. All the females are legal. Um, I understand he's just watching. But it's still just a little a little too far. Like, I gotta see the cartwheels. Ooh, the wind's blowing. I'm just like, you're openly saying this in front of students? No, that is not like, no, y'all should have wrote that better. Yeah, that is because while he was pompous and he could be a little perverted, he was always, he never let on about it. He was always focused on the moment and being, you know, a professional, like when he was in doing being a banker and sending out those loans. Uh, the one that he gave to Al, he um, was happy he got the uh, happy he got the trip to Hawaii, but he was still acting very professional, especially when his boss came out, asked him about the loans. So yeah, it's very out of character, and it's one thing when you have like, you know, maybe a different situation for a character, but one of the biggest gripes I have in consistency is character consistency it was kind of like when steve first came back uh in the agonite you might remember al says we are not going to turn in steve to the authorities that's out of character for al he would have turned him in like a heartbeat for ten thousand dollars and now this is a way out of character for steve and that's what i don't like when writers do that yeah now what about like, you know, just seeing, you know, David Garrison, Steve Rhodes on camera? Like, I mean, that was a hell, one heck of a surprise for me. He walks in and just nails Steve Rhodes' talking pattern, his tone, his facial structure, his facial expressions. He nails all of that like he had been on the TV show the entire time. Like, like. David Garrison is such a good actor that it he it probably took him nothing to get back into the role of Steve Rhodes. Like as soon besides how he was written, everything else is just like on just perfect on the spot. And I had such high hopes when he walked in there and he was confident and everything and i was so excited until he started talking about cheerleaders but i was like it was a good time yeah and you know uh, one thing i'm gonna say is uh we had a guest host um on uh jerry i don't know if you, if you heard some of the episodes with her carolyn uh and carolyn is a longtime married with children fan she's been part of the fandom since the early 90s uh, and uh, participated with Annabelle in uh, Bundiology.com. You know, she provided content years and years ago. And we had her on, and, you know, 
while talking, you know, she reminded me of this uh, TV show that David Garrison was on before Married with Children, which is another Levitt and Moyet uh, creation. It's your move. I remember that series. I was a fan of it. Yeah, and you know, and I remember. So was I. And when she reminded me, I'm like, wow, you know, I haven't seen that since it aired in the '80s. So you know, if for a fan base, if you go on YouTube, you could find all episodes. It was a very short-lived series, and uh, David Garrison's character was named Norman. And then I sort of remembered. I was like, you know what? The first time I watched Married with Children, and I watched the premiere back in 1987. I was like, hey, it's Norman. And he was the actor that I really like gravitated toward because I recognized him. And, you know, the character of Norman in It's Your Move was like sort of like this uh, guy who can... Uh, Jason Bateman was the star of that. It's like Jason Bateman was the con artist and Norman was the a guy who was a con, a con artist when... Uh, he was Jason Bateman's age. So he was like almost like, it was almost like a comeuppance. And, you know, that was like sort of my remembrance of, you know, the David, you know, David Garrison. So now like we get to this point and it's like, I guess like you said, Jerry, it's like, yeah, I mean, he is Steve Rhodes. He sort of walks and talks like Steve Rhodes, but he's got some pretty crappy lines that are not atypical Steve Rhodes. No, of course, you're dealing with a whole different set of writers than from the first three to four seasons. I don't think they, of course, I guess they're around when they wrote Get the Dodge Out of Hell. They, Yeah, they did, but, but Steve in that episode is, he's not the main focus. He's in for a couple of punches, and yeah. he's out. Uh, in this, he technically plays a big role, even though, honestly, he should have been in the episode more. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Steve Rose fan. I think uh, they dropped the ball on that a little bit, personally. But nonetheless, they uh, they didn't write him right. And I understand these are not the same writers that wrote him for for the first couple four seasons. And let's be honest, David Garrison doesn't love this character enough to say, hey, that's not what Steve would do. He's here to, to as a favor, collects his paycheck and rolls. I can't blame him for it. But the writers, I still feel like, should have known. It's your job. If you know you're having him come on and you're no... Well, actually, you know what? Maybe they didn't have much of a choice. If this was a backdoor pilot... Maybe they didn't have a choice. Maybe they were like, hey, in the pie, in this show, Steve is going to act like this. So he needs to be written like this. And we don't care what's been done before. That That's a possibility. Yeah. And, you know, and my question with this one in particular is, if this was supposed to have been a pilot, was the intent that David Garrison would be part of this TV show? I mean, he left Married with Children because he didn't want to be on television anymore. And wanted to go back to Broadway, which is where he's been for the last, you know, 30 years now. So, you know, what was the intent? Was the intent that, like, you know, we just sort of see Steve, De uh, see Dean Steve Rhodes, and then, like, he disappears after this pilot, so that now we focus on, you know, that cast of Oliver Mark and April? Or he could have just been a re he could have been a reoccurring guest star who would just show up every couple of episodes, therefore... He could, for the most part, keep doing his Broadway and get that TV money. 
that's a possibility. You know, and I was thinking the same thing, Luigi. I was wondering if they were thinking about reintroducing him as a regular on this new series. Steve says about Mark and Oliver's grades, is like, well, I looked up your grades and now that's entertainment. So that's just a reference to David Garrison being on Broadway and knowing show tunes. That's Entertainment is a popular song with music written by Arthur Schwartz and lyrics by Howard Dietz. The song was published in 1952 and was written especially for the 1953 MGM musical film The Bandwagon. The song is performed in the film by Jack Buchanan, supported by Fred Astaire, Nanette Fabre, and Oscar Levant. In 2004, the song finished at number 45 in AFI's 100 Years When Hong... 100 Songs survey of top tunes in American cinema. Since the movie, the song has become the signature tune for MGM and an anthem for Hollywood and theater in general, being used as an opening number in many shows alongside Hooray for Hollywood, There's No Business Like Show Business, and Another Opening, Another Show. It is considered one of the USA Entertainment's industry's best-known tunes. Everything that happens in life can happen in a show you can make them laugh you can make them cry anything anything can go the clown with his pants falling down or the dance that's a dream of romance or the scene where the villain is mean that's entertainment Okay, so we cut back to the Bundy living room, and uh, instead of saying cheese, Peg has the uh, April and Bud say the thing that comes from cheese in Wanker County, which is toes. <laughs> All right, say toes. toes. <laughs> Why toes? Well, in Wanker County, that's where cheese comes from. <laughs> that's our limo. April, tonight you are my queen, and the man on the other side of this door is our humble lackey. <laughs> Marcy's idea. She promised I'd be rubbing shoulders with major celebs. So far, it's just been a bunch of horny college boys who think it'll help them get lucky. <laughs> what, what a what a crock. <laughs> Does it work? Yep. <laughs> Especially when they uh, when they tip me to run out of gas just as a good Barry White song comes on. <laughs> April, tonight. I'm going to sweep you off your feet. Which, uh, not that, I, I don't know. I didn't like that joke. I thought it was a little, little low. Well, it's toes. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> but Now, you know, here's one thing, Jerry, I had a question for you. So now, you know, uh, Jefferson comes in the door. And he's dressed up like Steve Rhodes was in the... Uh, Last episode you guys uh, reviewed, which was... Uh, Get the Dodge out of hell. Yeah. So what'd you think about that? I mean, was like Jefferson just trying to like, you know, copy Steve's uh, uniform there? 
You know what? I thought it was kind of weird that I was just like, is this a, a, a throwback or is this like just they weren't paying attention? Or is this like some kind of like clever joke that Steve might have been a limo driver the last time you saw him? But now Jefferson's a limo driver, kind of a uh, a joke at at Marcy that her husbands are always on the lower totem pole, no matter what she wants them to be. Yeah, I, I just found it funny that you know they were both sort of dressed the same, right? Yeah, no, I agree. Like, I, like I I was kind of laughing at, at it myself because I was just like. Okay, that's pretty funny that he's a limo driver now in the la- in on this Steve episode and last Steve episode he was limo driver. Uh, Steve was limo driver. I thought that was kind of a, a funny little wink. Although this was a lot more obvious because Jefferson had the cap on from the beginning, Steve hid his cap to make Marcy think that uh, he was a successful businessman of some sort. Yeah, true. So and Jefferson says, you know, they tip me to run out of gas just as a Barry White song comes on. The love doctor himself. I mean, you can never, no one can ever make baritone sound as good as he did. Or really bass, I would say, right? Deep bass, yeah, because his voice was so low. And I think, I, yeah, it was the other night I caught the Simpsons episode where he guest starred. And that's how I first heard about it. Barry Eugene Carter better known by his stage name of Barry White, was an American singer-songwriter, musician, record producer, and composer. A two-time Grammy Award winner known for his bass baritone voice and romantic image, his greatest success came in the 1970s as a soul s- solo singer with the Love Unlimited Orchestra, crafting many enduring soul, funk, and disco songs, such as his two biggest hits, You're the First, The Last, My Everything, and can't get enough of your love. White recorded 19 studio albums during the course of his career, but multiple versions and compilations were released worldwide that were certified gold, 41 of which also attained platinum status. White had 20 gold and 10 platinum singles with worldwide record sales in excess of 100 million records and is one of the best-selling music artists of all time. He unfortunately died on July 4th, 2003. At the age of 58. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Darcy. Hey, remember our deal. You won't tell Mrs. Darcy where I was tonight, and I won't tell her you slow danced with the homecoming queen. dance over? It is for you. Did I, did I have a good time? Sure, if you consider having one beer and passing out in the refreshments a good time. So we find out that uh, Bud is a lightweight. Yeah, one beer. How do, like, unless you're a baby... And I mean a, a literal a literal baby. I don't mean in the sense of, dude, quit being a baby. 
I mean, literally, you were under two years old. A beer should not do that to you. Not you one should beer. not black out off of one beer. I mean, some people get like very happy and tipsy or, you know, belligerent with one beer, but not pass out. Yeah, he yeah. literally threw up and passed out. I mean, I guess you could say the throwing up, maybe he had like an allergic reaction. You could play it off that it just, it made his stomach sick or anything. And he just, and he threw up and that caused him to pass out. But at that point, bro, go to the doctor. Oh, wait, you're a Bundy. You cannot afford to go to the doctor. And you're a Bundy. You should be used to drinking. I mean, your father drinks a lot. You've also, you're in you're in college, and you you haven't figured out how to drink yet. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what a lot of college boys are doing. They're drinking, so they can meet women who drink. Yeah, that. Oh, and I love I I love his uh, April uh, telling Jefferson. You know, don't tell on me, and I won't tell your wife that you were dancing with the homecoming queen. <laughs> See, that's Jefferson. Yeah, that was good. Now, now there was one line right here that, you know, I heard, you know, I've probably seen this episode, you know, dozens of times, and never made sense. And until I got the script, I was like, what the hell is April saying? So she said... Uh, but while you were hurling picante sauce into the ficus, Nikolai asked me to go steady. And I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? You mean a ficus? Yeah, ficus. ficus. So it's a fig tree? A fi- No, a ficus is just a plant. Yeah. A ficus. That's, okay. So picante, so it's like, in other words, who's throwing up hot sauce into a plant? Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, well, the picante was probably in some kind of like salsa. She's probably referencing like a salsa. All right. I'm just thinking, like, where the hell is it going to be a plant inside of a dance? I mean, like, what, a gym that has, like, real plants? No, he probably made it outside. Okay. Uh, well, thanks for the education on that one. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I just assume Bundy made it outside to throw up in the ficus tree or ficus plant. Uh, because at least then it's a little less embarrassing than his normal routine of doing it in front of everyone. He has to show off a little bit because he's he's with a girl. But while you were hurling picante sauce into the ficus, <laughs> Nikolai asked me to go steady. Nikolai Pushkin? The basketball player with the huge feet? <laughs> I knew I'd never have a shot at going steady with you. You want to go steady? Yeah. Yeah, I do. So, so what do you say? I say, before I commit to either of you, I need some time to think. Okay, I understand. We all have to be adults about this. By the way, Russians have tails, you know. (laughs) Look it up. So we find out that Nikolai uh, asked April to go steady and April tells him that she's not sure yet and she doesn't want to commit. Now, you know, this sort of reminds me of, uh, you remember the episode when uh, um, we have Rodrigo on the uh, screen? Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) 
So it's like, okay, Nikolai or Bud? Like, you're choosing, like, almost every girl is going to choose Nikolai unless they purposely, like, unless they just themselves are not attracted to tall, muscular men. Like, unless they just so happen to to prefer a, a shorter, um, uh, non-muscular guy. I have to, you know, real quick, just to let you know about Nikolai, he was played by Timothy Elwell, and he actually does have about 20 credits. In fact, he did something just uh, a couple of years ago called Hollow Point. Uh, he was in an episode of Nick Tuck, and... Looks like uh, he's done mostly television stuff, it looks like, all throughout the years. But the thing is, his character, Nikolai, I think they were making a play off Ivan Drago from Rocky IV. I think one of you mentioned that towards the beginning. I, didn't, I will break you. Yeah, I don't think it worked that well. I think maybe if they had chosen another nationality, maybe that actually played basketball. I don't think Russia does much with basketball. And... I thought he kind of overdid it on his Russian accent, most mostly in that I noticed that it would come and go a little bit at some times. I don't know if uh, women are attracted to Russian accents, but I know he was really tall, really muscular, and that's one thing that's always been against Bud is his height, but I just had a few problems with Nikolai. I didn't think he was all that great, although I do think they wrote him better than they did Steve. Um. I agree, and the and I do think it was weird that it was a Russian basketball player, but maybe they wanted to do something that was a bit odd and a bit unusual. I didn't think he was, the character itself was that funny. I didn't even think he was really that attractive, and I really don't know any chicks that are, like, super attracted to Russian accents. Sure, I'm wrong. I'm sure there, there's plenty of people out there that are, that are super into it, but as for a, like, sitcom using generic stereotypes, which is kind of what a sitcom does, especially in the 80s and 90s, um, just didn't really see the Russian thing flying, especially since, like, kids at that point that in college have watched Red Dawn. They're not that big of a fan of Russians. But maybe that it works in favor for Bud, because maybe girls would be like, oh, yeah, don't date Nikolai, he's Russian, date Bud. He's definitely a caricature, though. Yeah, and then on top of that, Russian men are usually bulkier, and there's usually a, a different type. They have a different type of nose. It's kind of hard to describe, most, most Russians. And he just didn't fit the type of being Russian. That's And maybe this is it. I've always contended there was a third um, Red Scare. You know, you had your Red Scares when people were afraid of communism back in the 50s, and then there was another one back in the 20s. And there, I like to contend in the 80s there was one as well. Although at this point the Berlin Wall had been gone for about six years, but still, I think it was still fresh in people's minds that Russians were the bad guys. Maybe that's why they used it. I don't know. It's just uh, hard to tell. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, Carrie Russell, she was in that uh, TV show. Doesn't she depict like a Russian agent in America in the 80s? I'm not so sure. I never saw any of those. I remember reading the bio, and I remember the show. I just don't remember ever watching. I'll tell you, you know, after seeing uh, Carrie Russell on this episode, 
when her show Felicity came out a few years later, I actually watched, I think it was the first season. But then uh, I think I got sort of turned off when she cut her hair. <laughs> I like the long hair. Somebody said to me that, you know, it's because I'm Italian. Mm, baby, I like Steve. <laughs> Steve's powerful and good looking. So we cut back to Steve in the sound booth with Mark and Oliver as the interview begins. Okay, boys, remember, stick to my prepared questions and you'll live long enough to graduate and move back home with your parents. <laughs> Ready? This is Oliver and Mark live with Dean Rhodes. What up, collegians? <laughs> so tell me, Dean. How does it feel to be so powerful and yet so damn good-looking? Feels good. Feels damn good. With the pre-written random questions. Spontaneous question. Yeah, and Jerry, I thought you, you would love these. It's like, you know, it's just, how does it feel to be so powerful and yet so damn good-looking? <laughs> I mean, it's a true state. I'm wondering how it feels. I wish Steve would... You know, I'm glad they asked Steve so that I could know the answer to that question. You know, and here's something else, too. I know Steve would probably would probably want to have, you know, some pre-written spontaneous questions. But it's kind of like, really? You're going to ask him, how's it feel to be so powerful and good looking? I yeah, mean, I feel like Steve's smarter than that. Yeah, I think he would come up with better questions like... Uh, I don't know. Where are you from? Where did you get started into education or something like that? I heard you, you served as a, as a forest ranger saving animals. Uh -huh. Can you tell us about that? You know, like Steve, like I heard you learn finance and economics by actually working at a bank and going through loans and all of that and helping people get loans. Like Steve would have been able to finesse that. Yeah. So well, I don't know why he's being written like he's Jefferson. They got used to writing for Jefferson, I guess. But, you know, and that was just a big problem with me. And I forgot what the second uh, question was, but it was on the same lines. And anyway, it, the, those questions, I thought, Steve, you're right, Jerry. Steve is a hell of a lot smarter than what they're portraying him or writing him as. So we cut back to April and Nikolai outside the studio, and April thinks that Nikolai gave her flowers. Abdul, before my post-game radio program, I must find a way to show you how much you mean to Nikolai. Nikolai, you sent me flowers? Oh. Excuse me, excuse me, these flowers are from me. But, you see the card reads, I love you truly. Not a nice kitty, rough tongue. Bud. April, I need to know. Do we go steady, or must I nail many cheap slots to forget you? <laughs> April, I mean... April. I need to know. Are we gonna go steady, or must I watch many cheap sluts on Baywatch to forget you? <laughs> But it was Bud behind the flowers because Bud is short. It's a short joke. But it's a visual short joke, and that works. <laughs> 
I, uh, I, I thought the, the joke between them was pretty funny. Like Nikolai says, you know, must I nail many cheap sluts to forget you? <laughs> and uh, Bud says, must I watch many cheap sluts on Baywatch to forget you? <laughs> I did like that. I did like that part. That was pretty funny. Yeah. No, I still say Hamburger Helper still makes it for me. <laughs> oh, that's okay. My, my second favorite joke of the episode's coming up. <laughs> so in... In enters Marcy. There you are, young lady! You have been dodging my calls since last night. Now, how do you explain skipping the teller exam to go to a party with Bud? Well, I skipped the teller exam to go to a party with Bud. <laughs> Look, April, you cannot be a successful banker if all you think about is men. <laughs> Find yourself first. And then you can look for a boyfriend. Or bud. Now come with me. I'll give you a makeup exam. Why? <laughs> so, you know, so yeah, so Marcy says, you know, you can't be a successful banker if all you think about is men. And then she has like an orgasm when she looks at Nikolai. <laughs> Had she come out at this time? Do you know? Yeah, yes. Uh, you know, if I'm not mistaken, Amanda Beers had come out, uh, I'm going to say it was in 1993. So it had already been at least two years since she had come out. And then she plays someone, she plays the part well, you know, being a gay woman who gets really aroused by men. So, Well, Stephen, that's called acting. Yeah. <laughs> no, Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so while Marcy's speaking, guess who she spies in the radio booth? Oh my God, that's my ex-husband. That's Steve. Stephen Bartholomew Rhodes. <laughs> I love every time you say his name, you're like, I have to say the whole name to give him the utmost respect. Exactly. He deserves the respect. Yeah, and uh, and Mr. Scott, you know, just wants that middle name Bartholomew. I think that's what it is. I think it is too. It's, and we know Jefferson's <laughs> is Millhouse. Yeah, Bartholomew is such a better name. So, and, and, and notice that, and notice, you know, Jefferson's middle name Millhouse. You know, you think of Richard Millhouse Nixon, but when you think of Stephen Bartholomew Rhodes, you know Bartholomew was one of the disciples of Jesus. So that by, by there it tells you Steve is a much, much better character. A disciple of Jesus versus a corrupt president who was uh, forced to resign. We quickly cut back to the radio booth and Mark and Oliver actually stop the sham interview and start asking some questions. For our next spontaneous question, Dean, uh, was it your impressive resume that got you this job? or your penetrating blue eyes. It was a ragu of eyes and resume with a dash of rapier wit. Please. I did some checking. Two months ago, you were the chauffeur for the college president. How do you explain your meteoric rise? That's not one of the spontaneous questions. I don't suppose it had anything to do with this picture you took of said president showing his, uh, School spirit to the team mascot. 
This interview is over. Consider yourselves expelled. You will never study in this town again. Now, here's the thing. Like, this is one of those rare instances of continuity. So we actually get some continuity between the last Steve Rhodes appearance on Get the the Dodge Out of Hell and this one, where in that episode, Steve was a chauffeur. And to someone who's successful, like, we're not really told who it is. But now, like, we're sort of told, well, that person was the college president and Steve was the limo driver for him. So it sort of makes sense. I mean, wow. You know, and Jerry, you know, back in the days with Alex, I mean, that was something that was always a point of like, uh, you guys would bring up. It's like, wow, like we actually have some continuity. Yeah, because like in a sitcom, they don't always have that. So it's kind, it was kind of nice when they would reference something that would happen in a previous episode. Because then it's just like, okay, we're building the relationship of not only these characters, but the relationship with with the audience who's paying attention to every show every time every time it comes on the TV. Yeah, only maniacs like us, or me, I could say at least. <laughs> oh, I'm like the same way. I'll I'll spot something and I think that's not right. I'll stand up in a movie theater and think that's impossible, or I'll do that when watching TV and throw you know my my soft brick at the television for. Bad writing. I was throwing it a lot in the Star Wars sequels. What is a soft brick? It's like a sponge brick. You can throw it at a TV and it'll bounce off. And that way you don't damage the TV, but you can still get your frustration out by throwing it at it. Oh, I just make hamburger helper when I'm frustrated. (laughs) (laughs) He had to stop that interview. Because they started asking the suspicious questions. And he and then he says, and by the way, you two are expelled. Uh, and, and, and he blackmailed uh, his former boss yeah. with a uh, picture of his former boss with the school mascot. Um, I don't know what the school mascot is. I'm assuming it's some kind of uh, animal. And this was some early 90s furry stuff going on. Uh, so that's interesting. And I would, shows... think it, I would think it would be like the Tremaine Tigers. Or like usually be like a, like a, a literative, right? It's going to be like a TT, like yeah. Tremaine Tiger, something like that. Right? I got to be a Old tiger. Panthers, right? Yeah, I don't yeah. think, I don't see Steve with a tiger. No, Steve didn't have sex with the, ti- with the mascot tiger. The, the college uh, president did and steve took pictures of it and blackmailed oh, him yeah, for the okay. job well still, steve is smart yeah steve wouldn't do it it'd be the college president still who'd want to go do that to a tiger Ugh. well it's not a real <laughs> tiger it's someone dressed as a tiger and enough people like doing it that they hold multiple conventions a year for it okay yeah i'm just as an ou fan the university of texas their mascot is Bevo, and it's an actual steer out there. They bring out the steer. If if you were a uh, a a college, what would your mascot be? Let's see. That's a good one. Uh, cycler. A cycler, like someone riding a bike. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Uh, Luigi. Some kind of chef. I like to eat. 
Okay, typical Italian uh, joke there. Um, I'm gonna go with a moose because <laughs> I recently we could eat a moose. I recently learned moose can run on water, and uh, I didn't re- also realize how big they were until recently watching a bunch of videos about a moose. And now I'm never moving to Canada, but I really like mooses. No, it's still moose. Okay, but no. mooses sounds dope, so I'm gonna okay. say mooses. All right, my our, our, it's gonna be mooses with uh, nooses. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought it was meese. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait a minute. Uh, that'd be no. Wait a minute. That would be mice. Mice meese. Well, I'm sure moose cacciatore uh, tastes really good. Anyway, so he got that picture with the uh, of the president with the uh, school mascot, and so now he's being exposed. And so he's going out and he suspends those two students on the spot. Actually, no, he expels them. Yeah, expels them. And the thing is, the dean really doesn't have that power in a college. Really? I thought he did. Deans do not have that particular power. Besides, deans are usually of only, only over one school and within the college, like the School of, you know, Meteorology or the School of uh, the Dean of the School of Meteorology or the Dean of the School of, of Journalism or something like that. Those are individual deans, but uh, you have the ultimate dean actually deals more with faculty, from what I understand. I never went to college, so I don't know. I went to college. I don't remember much from my freshman or sophomore year, but after that, I started to remember more. <laughs> yeah. Well, Stephen, I mean, well, since you brought it up, who has the power to expel? I mean, that actually sounds interesting. I think that goes within the president of the university's office. Okay. And, and that's my theory, because in my experiences with college and I, that's what I've noticed that deans are over at particular schools. Well, in this case, Steve does have the power to expel because if it goes to the president and he's got blackmail on the president, what Steve says goes. Those two kids will be expelled. Yeah, I guess you're right on that one. So good catch there. Good catch. So Steve exit the radio booth and into the presence of his ex-wife, Marcy. Stephen Bartholomew Rose. Oh, no. I can't believe you were pushing 18-year-olds around. What will you do for an encore? I think I'll look at our wedding photos and try to find your breasts. Yeah, well, you're going to have to look pretty hard because they're hidden under your gorgeous cousin's hands. The last thing he wants to see, the last thing he wants to deal with. Yeah, you know, and like, you know, the jokes that between Steve and Marcy at this point sound like jokes between like Alan Pegg, although like a divorce version of Alan Pegg. They do, but when when Steve roast her with, uh, I'm going to look at her wedding photos and try to find your breast, that yeah. was my second favorite line of the episode. It is just so good. It's awesome. It's perfect. It fits perfectly. Unintended. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he really got her very well there. And 
now she's just pissed and she just wants to get back at him because she still hates him for all those years ago when he freed Bosco and then left her. I, she is still not, can't move past that. Of course, he can't move past how much he hates her now. And it's kind of sad to see how they just really turned on each other. And you see the effect that Alan Pegg had on them. And that truly ironic thing is Alan Pegg have shown many times when they do really care about each other. Yeah, and that and this is one of the times where the episode really, really falls on its face because instead of having more interaction between those two, they they from now on for the rest of the episode will be in separate scenes while still communicating with each other. But it just seems like I would have loved to have seen more like him still up there and like them yelling at each other between the door and making wisecracks to each other. And instead, that just doesn't happen. No, because in the Dodge out of hell, yeah, we had that. And that was the main thrust. One of the, well, we had two stories, but that was one of the main stories and they stuck with it. And frankly, that was the part I thought was more interesting. Agreed. Yeah. You know, the other thing about this episode is that, like, Ed O'Neill has, what, at most three sentences in the whole episode? Yeah. Yeah. And and even Jefferson does. I mean, Ted McGinley does. And none of them interact with Steve. Like, you know, it would have been funny, like, if they could have gotten Al into the scene, you know, and make a wisecrack or two about Steve. Because even in the Get the Dodge Out of Hell there is no interaction, at least with Ed O'Neill and David Garrison. And, you know, like, I feel like they had that co- that comedic uh, chemistry. And I also, that's why I always thought that Egg and I was the perfect return for Steve, because he interacted with everybody on the show. After that, when he returns, he only interacts with, um, he only interacts with Marcy. And you really can't count the one, the pirate story, because that was a fantasy episode. True. So moving right along. So Marcy tries to get Mark and Oliver to protest. And the boys are a little dejected. (laughs) You're not going to let my ex-husband get away with this, are you? Of course not. I'm going to go about our lives as if none of this ever happened. Hello, Starbucks. You got any openings? Well, in the 60s, we would have protested this kind of injustice. You know, bar the doors, seize the mics, tear the roof off this sucker! What do you say, Mark? I'm not sure. I might have to go to coffee school in the morning. (laughs) It's a yes. Well, what are we waiting for? To the airwaves. (laughs) Honest students and scum-sucking administrators. Two righteous bros have been expelled just for exposing the truth, which we have proof of. So we have liberated this station and we will broadcast nonstop until they are back in school and ex-limo flunky Steve Rhodes admits he's a weenie. Hello, Starbucks. (laughs) I was a popular place to work for back then. Yeah, I mean, you know, and the thing with Starbucks back in the 90s, it felt like there was one opening up every like three seconds. The very famous episode of The Simpsons, I remember when Bud wanted to get a tattoo or was it a piercing, Stephen? I think it was a piercing. I think it was a piercing. Ear pierced. Yeah. Yeah. 
He's like, you know, hurry up, kid. He's like, before they turn this place into a Starbucks. <laughs> and Bart passes about three or four of them in the mall. Yeah. yeah. And then when he exits, all of them are Starbucks. <laughs> but yeah, that was a big thing back there. And his buddy tries to talk to me and says, wait a minute, I may have to go to coffee college tomorrow. And I didn't like that joke. And I think uh, he was the one who then started to read the bylaws or something from the college on the radio. Uh, it's just falling flat. So Marcy makes a reference to Tear the Roof Off This Sucker, which is a song by Parliament. A.K.A. George Clinton. Yeah. The, the the entire episode from here on out, I don't know that there's necessarily a redeeming quality left for the episode. Like, at this point, it becomes completely focused on, on these two guys, but they're like, all right, well, we got to get Bud in here. So while Bud... April and Nikolai are talking and there's a couple of good jokes on there. I, I really liked the draw a happy face on an inner tube. Oh, I don't blame you. I've seen Russian women like there, <laughs> there, there's a yeah. couple of good jokes, but you, you have Bud, Nikolai and, and April talking into, we'll say studio two and the smarter DJ, the one who was going to go to, Coffee College, uh, the dude with the perfect 90s hair, by the way. Um, he is smart enough to hear it turn on the radio and switch it over to them so that everyone can hear it. And obviously it's very, very popular. And there's a couple of uh, good jokes in there and they have people call in. And, and it's a little interesting, but it's just like, is this married with children at this point? No, it's and, not. And it's clearly not. By the way, like, really watch that when he turns on, when he puts that second studio on air, air, he points up to the on air. Yeah, for the audience so that the yeah. audience actually catches that he does it. Because um, they don't have faith in their audience, I guess, for this episode because they know we've checked out. Probably. To be honest, mm -hmm. um, like, it's just, I don't know. I just feel like the, like the rest of this episode is just, who cares? They like, Steve doesn't get any more good lines, uh, because of the, uh, love talk or hot. What do they call it with April? Hot talk with April. Hot talk with April. People show up in the in the quad or whatever it is, and I'm like, but if they liked it, why would they leave the radio? Why would they leave the radio where they're listening to this to go stand outside of the studio where they clearly show us that the radio is not playing for them? They cannot hear it. This makes no sense. And they like, they grab 
Steve and they lift him up and they're gonna like they uh there's a joke oh well they've made a effigy of him and they're like that's no effigy um as if they're going to burn Steve and Steve doesn't get any good lines he gets carried away and it's just the whole and then the episode ends with April joining the two DJ characters for them to do the radio show and then Bud and Nikolai are both dejected and Marcy's dejected because now she doesn't want to be a teller. So Marcy's like, okay, well, I'll go get Nikolai. Okay, funny throwaway joke. And then we go to Bud and Nikolai and they're like, all right, let's go to the bar. And Nikolai's like, oh, you can have an O'Doul's, which is a non-alcoholic beer. Yeah. Which is, once again, that's kind of funny. Throwaway line. Yep. But but that's how this episode ends. That's how this episode was Steve's, like, last episode ever. It was the ending of his legacy. And I understand that there would have been payoff had the pilot actually taken off and Steve actually had been a dean on that episode on that series but the way they wrote Steve is not Steve the way they they portrayed all of the normal married with children characters in this episode is not not enough like this was a married with children episode not a Married with Children is guest starring on this other sitcom. I understand it's a backdoor pilot, but this ain't it. This did not work on any level. And while, and it is just so sad and disappointing that this is our last time with Steve. Steve Rhodes, given to our demands now. The students have been mobilized. You are surrounded. <laughs> Odd. I don't hear anyone chanting Attica, Attica. Attica, Attica. And then there was that reference to Attica because, and one thing I thought was cute was when you go down and Steve's down on the quad and no one's there except for one guy holding up the legalized marijuana sign. Well, the Attica prison uprising. And it was a rebellion of, or the Attica prison riot. And that ha happened in Attica, New York. And I think, uh, I'm not too sure. Isn't that the state prison up there? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That happened in 1971 based upon the prisoners demands for better living conditions and political rights. And it was one of the most well-known and significant uprisings of prisoners rights movement. On September 9th, 1971, two weeks after the killing of George Jackson at San Quentin State Prison, about 1,300 of the Attica prison inmates uh, rioted. They took control of the prison. They took hostages, 42 of them. And during the following four days of negotiation, authorities agreed to most of the prisoners' 28 demands. They would not agree to demands for complete amnesty from criminal prosecution, and for the prison takeover or for the removal of Attica's superintendent. The governor at that time was Nelson Rockefeller. They, when they took back control of the prison, they took back control of the prison. 
and when the uprising was over, 43 people were dead, including 10 correctional officers and civilian employees and 33 inmates. Yeah. And the chant, Attica, Attica, was uh, made very famous in a film. I don't know if, if you guys have seen A Dog Day Afternoon with Al Pacino, 1975. I have seen that, yes. Yeah. So there's a very famous scene, and that stars Pacino and John Casale, who played his brother Fredo in the Godfather series. Robbing the bank's a federal offense. They got me on kidnapping, armed robbery. They're going to bury me, man. I don't want to talk to somebody who's trying to calm me. Get somebody in charge here. I am in charge I don't here. want to talk to some flunky pig trying to calm me, man. You don't have to be calling What's he pig? doing? Hey, what are you get back what over there? What are you there? over in there for? What are you What's get the doing? fuck back there? Huh? Get back What's there. What's he doing? Look at him with him. Get over there. Go on back there, man. Get over there. What are you He wants to kill me so bad he can taste it. I got always going to kill you. Attica! 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 Interesting. And, you know, the yeah, the legalized marijuana guy. <laughs> so that's uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 Joseph Reitman. He's appeared on Married with Children a few times in Naughty But Nice. I want my Psycho Dad Part 2 uh, here this episode in The Weaker Sex. And uh, he was married to Shannon Elizabeth. He was married from. Yeah, he, let, he was married to Shannon Elizabeth. He let her get away. Yeah, well, I mean, apparently he seems to, you know, get some hot chicks all the time. Oh, well. <laughs> we got Kelly, too, I guess, at one time. Of course, that was in the script. <laughs> yeah, you know, so what I wanted to talk about uh, very briefly uh, is uh, this whole legalized marijuana uh, poster. I mean, that would have seemed like almost like a fantasy, right? Like, like again, he's a stoner talking about legalizing marijuana in 1995. But, I mean, it took almost 20 years for that to become a reality, you know, because there's been this whole uh, legalized marijuana movement across the United States. And a lot of uh, individual states have gotten into the business of allowing mar marijuana distribution. I was surprised when it passed here in Oklahoma a few, a few years ago. I was for it, but it was not recreation. It was medical. My brother lived in Oregon when they legalized it. And yeah, it, it big switch over the last 20 years. And I think that really started in the 20 teens. Correct. But back then, there was still the influence of Reagan's uh, when he upped the war on, against drugs that Nixon had started. And so it was not very cheap or in style to be using drugs, even though in the 80s, a lot of people were using them, even during Nancy Reagan's uh, Just Say No campaign. Dare. You know, that program started in California to fight drug abuse. It didn't work. <laughs> no, it did not. Thank you, Dare, for teaching me about drugs and lying to me. I never got free drugs from strangers. No. no. Shall we discuss the terms of our surrender? No, Miss Darcy. This is my fight. Well, actually, it's your fight. I just stupidly got caught up in it. <laughs> but I'm ready to take it. I'm going to light up these phone lines. That's great. That gives me time to get a gas mask and a mocha latte. <laughs> Students, faculty, people whose radio dials are stuck. Let me quote for you the bylaws of RBC's radio station. 
In Article B, Section 2, Procedures for Binding Arbitration. He's killing us. Yeah, you should see him on a date. <laughs> Look, why don't you stay here while I think of a way to get our audience excited? Solid. <laughs> You know, so while Mark and Oliver and Marcy are in the room next door, like, how is it that we have, you know, April, Bud and Nikolai back in the studio? How is it? Now, what I what I meant is like, you know, so if they, they very conveniently go into the studio where, you know, <laughs> they're now talking and then that ends up with gets what gets being broadcast. Oh, that's a good point. Why would they go from that like area where the sofa is? into the thing is it because darcy was it because marcy was out there no i mean like you know that's the thing marcy was with mark and oliver remember she's on the balcony looking at steve yeah she had just went in there to make coffee right so like how is it that these guys go from like this area for better better term i'm just gonna call like this almost like a living room space into the studio well no no that's what i'm saying okay so so Marcy and uh, the guy that she's on the balcony with, they both leave that one room and leave the other guy there for him to start reading the bylaws. And they're going between that living room because Marcy does go in there to get coffee and that balcony. And they're kind of going in and out. And that would be the only logical reason that they would move – that April and them would move into that room because they're going in and out the door is open and, it, and it's a little busy, but like the plot doesn't show you that the writing doesn't show you that I have to come up with this on my own. And that's just lazy writing because they conveniently needed them in another room and just decided no one would care. And with those doors opening up and closing all the time, there'd be a lot of feedback going through the uh, broadcast a whole lot. So, yeah. I don't know why we want logic out of this episode. They've clearly, clearly have explained to us that this is a throwaway episode. I wish I could throw it away. I'm sure because, like you said, this is supposed to be, or this is the swan song for Steve Rhodes. And it's like The Last Jedi all over again. Well, you know, that's that's an interesting point that you make. You know, I, I don't know if they thought at the time that this would be like the final appearance of Steve. Because, you know, usually David Garrison appeared like in season six, season seven, at least one per season. In this, in season nine, he appears twice. I mean, first instance is because they were celebrating their 200th episode, so they had him return. Then we have this backdoor pilot, but for some reason or other, Seasons 10 and 11, there is no appearance of Steve or no, or no further reference to David, you know, to the Steve character. He wasn't an eight either. He wasn't an eight, right. We skipped over one. So almost like, you know, season nine made up for it. But, you know, then this is it. And it, again, it peters out too. But again, you know, I, I don't think that they knew at this point that this would be the end. Or if it was the end, you know, like in other words, if, you know, at the, you get to the end of season nine, it's like, well, will the show be picked up for another season, right? And then, you know, he was never written in for the next uh, season. Nope. Well, so maybe it wasn't a swan song, but it's still, with Steve's last appearance, it's, um, it's a real travesty. 
It's kind of like how someone on our uh, Facebook page pointed out, I forgot who it was, that they couldn't believe the very last episode of uh, Married with Children. Because I forgot what it's called, but it wasn't that good. And it followed the two-part episode when Kelly was about to get married. And they thought that fit more for the for like a series finale. And and I feel like the same thing was done with Steve. I think they probably thought, oh, we'll get one more year, then we can do a finale. And but still it's kinda like you know when you're going out on your season finale, you want something good. Tyler and I reviewed um the season finale for this season. And I don't want to reveal anything, but we did not think it was a good season finale as opposed to the previous year when you had uh, Kelly know something and your season finale you want the audience to want more you want them to salivate and think I can't wait until next season to see what happens now not necessarily as a in, in the minds of a cliffhanger but more like you're wetting their appetite that you want more of it and you can't wait until the season starts agreed I just don't know who to choose. I mean... Nikolai, you're so strong, and... Bud, you're so cute. Is Nikolai not cute? Oh, yes. And my body melts from your searing kisses. Pursuant to FCC Code 117-B, paragraph 6. I don't have to tell you that. What about my kisses? They sear. You can ask anybody I've kissed. Ask them. Ask uh... Your mother? Let's do it, Paul. I accept your apology. They have come! Get out of here. What's the matter with you people? April, before I met you, a hot date was when my rubber woman got her thigh stuck on the radiator. You shake me, we can't afford the rubber woman. We have to draw a happy face on the inner tube. Hey, I don't blame you. I've seen Russian women. As long as you say you're sorry. I think there's, you know, two great jokes. Uh, you know, it's that exchange between Nikolai and Bud. You know, but says before I met you, a hot date was when a rubber woman got her thigh stuck on the radiator. That was a good one. Nic- I did like that. And then Nikolai says, in Chechnya, we can't afford rubber woman. We have to draw a happy face on inner tube. <laughs> but I disagree with Bud. He says, I don't blame you. I've seen Russian women. I strongly disagree. Russian women are generally very beautiful. We're, there's a difference between Russian women from the late 80s to early 90s versus Russian women from the 2000s until now. Yeah, I think there's been uh, a lot of advances with fluoride (laughs) that I recently found out, in case you didn't know, was not... Sorry, I just wanted to do that joke. (laughs) And here's something else. The Iron Curtain had just fell on like, you know, the Berlin Wall came down in 89. So this is about six years later. And I'll tell you an interesting thing about uh, when McDonald's moved in in 1989 uh, after the fall of the Berlin Wall. And 
the McDonald the McDonald's Corporation said when they hired all these Russians to work this McDonald's, they said the hardest thing to teach him to do was to smile. I thought that was interesting. Well, yeah, they didn't have fluoride. Yeah. Oh, boy. And they had to stand in line for toilet paper, stand in line for cereal, stand in line for TVs. April, I'm 21 years old, and I've only had sex four times. <laughs> You told me you've been involved with hundreds of women. Yeah, but they weren't real. <laughs> the important to me. Like you are. Uh, Mr. Bud? Hey, you'll get your shot, hoop dreams. <laughs> April, please choose me. I'm tired of sitting home Saturday nights moaning in two different voices so my sister won't tease me. <laughs> Bud? What is it? We're on the air. <laughs> Yes, you are. Of course. <laughs> so Bud has had sex four times. <laughs> and, you know, in terms of continuity, that seems to coincide with the number of times we've actually seen him having sex on the show. So this is another, you know, instance of like, we actually get some continuity. Okay, but I'm trying to think of the four times. I know he made it with his cousin's uh, wife or fiance. He made it with Amber, and I'm trying to think. I know he made it with his teacher in that one uh, course in the season six, but who was the fourth one? Cousin Jimmy's uh, second fiance, the blonde. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and she was a Playboy playmate, by the way. A Alex, I think, in the in, that was season seven, the season seven wrap-up show, he, he thought that she was very hot. Oh, she was. Very hot woman. You know, that's the thing with Married with Children. I was talking with Tyler about it in a recent episode that you have to imagine back in that time, these actresses who were signing up, you know, they're responding to two ads. One ad is needed fat women for sitcom. Another ad need very hot women for sitcom. And then they go to the same place. And so the producer's saying all the hot women on that side, all the fat women on that side. <laughs> That's what I imagine it happened. Yep. I, I think you're right. Now, you know, Bud tells uh, Nikolai, you'll get your shot, Hoop Dreams. So Hoop Dreams is a 1994 American basketball documentary film directed and produced by Steve James, Frederick Marks, and Peter Gilbert with Cardamican Films. I think I said that right. I think so. <laughs> You've been listening to Hot Talk with... April? It's April. And if you'd like to keep this type of programming on the air, call the station, or better yet, come down here and get in Dean Rhodes' face. April, will you uh, take some calls for us here? You're on the air with April. Hi, my name is Sandy, and I really think you should choose Nikolai. Thank you. Next. Uh, yeah, my name's Jill, and I think you should choose Bud. Thank you. You're on Hot Talk. Yeah, hi, my name is Kelly Bundy and I think you should choose Nikolai. <laughs> Look, Nick, bud, I know you want my answer, but it's such a hard choice. I mean, if I choose Nick, I would be the envy of every girl in Chicago. If I choose Bud, Nick would beat you to a bloody stump. <laughs> I wouldn't care. Oh, you would care. 
So now they discover that they've been on the air, and you've been listening to Hot Talk with April. April. <laughs> Sorry, I can't resist. So these people call in, and these are the voiceovers. Uh, we have Sandy and Jill, and like you know, as I said at the beginning, Annabelle was able to find. So Sandy was uh, Catherine Cavadini, and Jill was Amy Danels. I think it's funny. Then Kelly, that's <laughs> called <in. laughs> She says, I think you should choose Nikolai. <laughs> it's almost like to me like a callback of like when Al says, like, heck, I'd date Rodrigo. <laughs> and Al even said he'd date Rodrigo. <laughs> you know, um, I think it's only fair we point out that uh, the two guys, one of the other one, Andrew, one went on to Grey's Anatomy, but Andrew Kavavid, I guess that's how you say his name, he had 26 acting credits, including Criminal Minds. Uh, Miracles, a TV series. Joan of Arcadia, one of my favorites of the early 2000s. Wish that lasted longer. He was in The Magnificent Seven, The David Cassidy Show, The Burning Zone. Um, let's see here. I was going to see, and he got starting soaps. But it looks like Mary Wachum was about his fourth or fifth one. He was probably going to be one of the main characters, but he did go on to have a decent career. And he also looks like he's been producing lately. So, Jerry... We now see the last scene of Steve Rhodes on camera for Married with Children. The people are with us. We've raised their consciousness. Power to the people! Power yeah. to the people! Take off your shirt! <laughs> you guys, I think Mrs. Darcy may just be right. I mean, maybe I need to find myself before I find a boyfriend. Do you understand? Perfectly. What did she say? <laughs> She's dumping us both, man. Let's go have a beer. Okay. But no duels for you, little friend. It's working. They're hanging the Dean in effigy. That's not effigy. They're really stringing him up. So he's being held up by the uh, crowd of people, right? He's got that bullhorn on his, you know, he's holding that bullhorn and the legalized marijuana guys next to him. So, I mean, what are your thoughts and reflections on that? It's, uh, I mean, I kind of said earlier when I was in my rant, but it's just so disappointing for him to go off like this. Like, you can barely hear what he's saying and, and it's more of him just uh, put me down, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's not him getting a quip at, you know, Marcy. It's, uh, you know, or even if it would have been a quip towards him from Marcy. Like, just an interaction between those two instead of him just being carried off by random college students. Like, it's just such a letdown. I would agree. I just was really embarrassed how they treated Steve on this one. And it's almost like a I don't give a shit show. You know, and as a bonus to our audience, we're going to play a clip from the very first podcast episode when Jerry talks about Steve for the very first time. And it starts here. You see this here and it only becomes more apparent and more obvious as the show goes on. I guess the well, the very next thing after Kelly takes off, uh, the doorbell rings. 
and rings. And rings. And rings. Yes. <laughs> Steve and Marcy actually rang the doorbell four times in, in the span of, like, a minute. <laughs> like, yeah. I would already be like, what? I would open the door like, what is wrong with you two? It is, yeah. it is hilarious because both uh, Al and Peggy are too busy arguing with each other to go and answer the door or even notice that the bell is constantly ringing. And <laughs> yeah, you also... like tunnel visioned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it's amazing. And then as soon as uh, they open the door, Hi, I'm Marcy. I'm Steve. Hello, I'm Marcy. I'm Steve. You have a beautiful home. Yeah, so do you. Come on. <laughs> Howdy, neighbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate these pigs. Why don't we sit down? <laughs> Gee, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed. I, I have nothing to serve you. Yeah, listen, if you're hungry, there's a store a few blocks away. <laughs> Yeah, if you're going, give me some juice, okay? <laughs> Al's only kidding. Like, Al does not care about first impressions. He, I don't even know if he says his name or anything. I don't, even, I don't remember if either one of them say what their names are. I, I give better first impressions at the drive-thru at McDonald's. I, I, like, sit there and actively make sure I don't say, you too, when they say enjoy the food. Like, yeah. Al, no, he doesn't care. Not one, one bit. That was so long ago, and I'm just like, what did I say? <laughs> April, I heard what you said about me being right. So I guess this means you want to be a banker? <laughs> Not exactly. I want to go to Tremaine and work at this radio station. But you've only done that for five minutes. And look, I'm really good at it. <laughs> Fine. Then I'll just find someone else to work under me. Oh, Nikolai! <laughs> And the fact that Trumaine is a land-grant college <laughs> protects the station's freedom of speech. Oliver. Along with assembly, Oliver. religion... Oliver, you can stop now. Dean Rhodes has given it. You mean, I, I did it, I won. I moved them with my compelling oratory? Yeah, you're the man. <laughs> and guess what else? Our little radio station has found an audience, my friend. You know what that means? We are a hit. Well, this is this is great news, but now that we have power, we must be careful not to abuse it. Oh, <clears throat> we won't. This is Mark Campbell. This is Oliver Cole. And this is April Adams. Tune in tomorrow when we'll make surprise phone calls to wives of professors who sleep with students. <laughs> we have names, we have numbers, we have... arrived. We end this episode with Mark Oliver and April and they have a hit and <laughs> this is, <laughs> what do we call it? Hot talk with April and they have arrived and credits. Thank God. <laughs> no ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. 
Thanks for checking out this review. All right, so Stephen, how many legalized marijuana signs do you want to put up for this episode? You know, I'm, I've been struggling where to put it, and I will hold up <laughs> two signs because it needs to be legalized so we can get stoned and actually appreciate Maybe that's how you got to appreciate the show, this episode. You have to get stoned to appreciate it. It starts off, uh, it starts off weak and it gets weaker. Uh, there are a few good jokes. You had Bud in there. You had Steve and Marcy. Both were pretty much wasted. And like what we talked about, it wasn't true to Steve's character. I hate character betrayal probably more than anything in a series or a, a, or a movie franchise. So this gets two, maybe even one and a half. I don't know. I'll tell you what, I'm going to go with one and a half. Jerry, the great Jerry Herring, how many legalized marijuana signs are you going to hold up for this episode? I don't know if I've ever rated a Married with Children episode this low off the top of my head, but it gets a one for me. Like, yes, I'm glad I get to see Steve, but just the fact that he's so wasted that it doesn't even feel like a Married with Children episode and just nothing that like there's two really funny joke and there's a couple of throwaway funny lines but this is just a failure of an episode almost completely all the way around and this isn't one of those weird times where i just didn't like a character set up you know there's no jim jupiter here for me to like get all weird about this is just a badly written episode all the way around. So it, it gets a one for me. What I want to point out, this this was episode was written by Richard German and Stacy Lip, you know, who've usually been like really heavy hitters in the Married with Children canon in terms of great episodes. Uh, I, so I, I guess it's like they did their best maybe with the clay they were given. I just think, but... Um, they had, if even if they've written great episodes, because this is a backdoor pilot, I think they were given like a list of things that they could and couldn't do. I think they were more restricted with this because this has to go into a whole new series with characters that they, hey, we want the characters to be like this. This is the, because if they, if this was a backdoor pilot, they already have a thing written out of what they want these characters to be like including their version of Steve. And all of that does not necessarily mean, it, like, even if it's in a Married Children episode written by Married with Children writers, that does not mean it works in the world of Married with Children. So yeah, even, even Star Trek had its stinkers by Gene Roddenberry and some other writers. So... Just because they write a good script for that doesn't mean it's going to be a good script later on. I've been listening to the WKRP podcast, and they were talking about one particular episode that they didn't care for, and they didn't think it was that good. Well, it was still written by Hugh Wilson, who was like the uh, series creator and main writer of the show, who wrote some fantastic episodes. Even Steven Spielberg made 1941. So Yeah, every once in a while the best of people are going to have a bad product. It's going to happen. 
Yeah, I've read a few Stephen King stinkers, too. Okay, well, for this episode, uh, and it's I'm going to hold up two legalized marijuana signs. Stephen, I was going to actually go with your number originally. I mean, that was the number I had in my head. I was like, ah, maybe a one and a half to a two. And the only reason why I gave it a two is for two reasons. David Garrison and Kerry Russell. And that's the only reason why I bump it up half a point. I, th- I think that, you know, Kerry Russell, this was, I'd say, her first major appearance on television. She had a few others, but this was very memorable. She seemed very natural. I mean, if you take, uh, you know, the actor playing Nikolai, I mean, you could see that it, it's a caricature and you could see that it's forced. She seemed very, very natural on camera. You know, she was believable as the char- character of April. Um, and again, for myself, just seeing David Garrison on screen, like put a smile on my face and seeing like that, uh, you know, banter between him and uh, Marcy, that really made a difference for me. So, and that's the only reason why I'll give it an extra half a point, but no more than that. Yeah, that was my one point, you know, and then the half point was just for credit, <laughs> extra credit, I guess you could say. <laughs> credit for trying. Of course, I don't know if they tried or not, so... You know, it's kind of sad that I rank this one lower than everybody has his birthday. But I did. No. Well, we haven't gotten to enemies yet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to reveal my rating on that one just yet. So my sidekick, Chris Gunter, wasn't able to join us today, but he did send in a clip uh, on his review of this episode. Hello everyone, Chris Gunter here, and it's Saturday night, so you know what that means. I'm sitting alone at home, moaning in two different voices so my sister doesn't tease me. (laughs) Kidding, of course. I did want to stop by real quick to give you my thoughts on Radio Free True Maine, which is one of my favorite episodes in the entire series. Of course I'm joking. I said that for shock value, so... Before everyone's heads explode, let me explain what I mean. Um, I do like this episode. Now, that doesn't mean I think it's, um, you know, a masterpiece or a great episode or a Hall of Fame episode by any stretch, but I do enjoy it, uh, comparatively speaking, at least. Comparatively, of course, I'm, ta- I'm talking about compared to the other two spinoff attempts that Married with Children had. As we all know, there were three, the first one being uh, Top of the Heap, which uh, personally I don't know of anyone who likes that episode. <laughs> I uh, Personally, I gave that one a one. Uh, the Radio Free True Maine is the second attempt, and then the third attempt is uh, Enemies, which is in season 10. But um, we'll talk about that one uh, more when we get there. But as far as Radio Free True Maine... I do think that this episode has one thing that the other two spinoff attempts do not have, and that's the fact that it has a well-established character that we all know and love. And of course, I'm talking about Steve Rhodes. I I think uh, of all the uh, uh, well of the three spinoff attempts, I feel like this one had the best chance of uh, actually making it and being a successful series. I'm aware that the uh, top of the heap uh, 
actually was a spinoff, and it had, I believe, an eight-episode season, possibly a ten-episode season. Uh, I can't recall exactly, but that one had, uh, you know, a very brief stint, but uh, the uh, reviews and ratings were not good, of course, and it was canceled. <laughs> but uh, personally, I feel like... Uh, Radio Free Trumaine had the best chance of making it because it had an established character. If you look back, uh, and, and of course I'm talking about Steve Rhodes, if you look back in uh, you know television history, when you look at uh, successful spinoff attempts, it's because the show established some characters, you know, over the course of a season or two or three, and then spun it off into a series. An example of that would be. Three's Company and the Ropers. You know, if you watch Three's Company, you know that the Ropers were well-established characters that fans of the show liked, and they did a spin-off to the Ropers. So the way Married with Children perhaps could have done this would have been, uh, you know, maybe on season three or four, do a spin-off and call it The Roads. It could have been uh, about Marcy and Steve. Those are two characters that we all know and love. And for whatever reason, Married with Children uh, never got this formula down. And I think that that's why the show's three spinoff attempts were failures. Married with Children attempted to introduce characters and then immediately do a spinoff off of them. And I think that they thought, well, if we introduce these characters in a Married with Children episode and include... Al Bundy, Kelly Bundy, Peggy Bundy, Bud Bundy, so on and so forth in that episode, then fans will flock to it or they'll identify with it or, or whatnot. But that just never happened. And this was the second uh, example of that. Uh, and we'll see the third example of that next season in Season 10 with Enemies. But again, we'll, uh, we'll cross that bridge once we get there. Okay, now on to the actual episode itself. Because there were a number of moments in the episode that I really liked that I got uh, some laugh-out-loud moments. Uh, the first one was um, <laughs> where the, the DJ said, We're going to give a limo service to the student for the most pathetic reason, uh, wanting it. <laughs> Bud calls in and says, this is Bud Bundy. We have a winner. <laughs> that really cracked me up. Um, I got a kick out of that. I also got a, a kick out of the cracks at Anna Nicole Smith and Rush Limbaugh, although uh, unfortunately both of them are deceased now, so I can't, <laughs> I won't elaborate much on that. But I did, I did get a crack out of both of those. I thought that was pretty funny. Now, one of the other things that I, I thought was funny was Steve Rhodes' character. Now, I will admit that his character is notably different than it was in season one, two, and three. <laughs> he's a lot more sarcastic. He's a lot more nasty now than he was before, I guess you could say. Although you could chalk that up to saying, well, season nine, season one, that's a, you know, eight, nine year difference. You know, a lot of people will change over the course of eight years or nine years especially following a divorce and you know time running from the police as a park ranger and time being a chauffeur for the college president and buffing his shoes and things like that <laughs> so uh you could chalk that up to that but steve's character is definitely different no uh no doubt about that i did get a, cr a crack out of her when he said stick with my prepared questions and you will live long enough to graduate and move back in with your parents <laughs> i think that's something that a lot of college kids can uh, relate to even today you know 
uh, 26 years after this episode aired, 25 years after this episode aired. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. I got a crack out of that. There's been a lot of questions at this point as to how many times Bud has actually had sex, and uh, we may have got that answer in this episode whenever he was um, speaking to Carrie Russell's character. He said, I've had sex, I'm 21 years old and I've had sex four times. So that might be the answer because remember, he didn't realize he was on the air. He thought he was talking to her, you know, heart to heart to try to win her over. So that might be the true answer as to how many times Bud Bundy has had sex in his life. Four times, perhaps. While we're speaking about Carrie Russell, she looked amazing in this episode. And, you know, it's kind of cool, you know. I think it's fair to say that Radio Free Trumaine and Top of the Heap were not successful spinoffs. But it is kind of cool to know that Matt LeBlanc and Carrie Russell uh, got their start on Married with Children. And then both both of them went on to do amazing things. Um, and actually, I'm not entirely sure if this is Carrie Russell's first acting gig, but certainly very early in her career before she hit it big. So I think it's pretty cool, uh, you know, just to be able to look back and, and say, wow, two of the bigger stars of the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, that, that era got their start on Married with Children. So that's kind of cool, even if the two spinoff attempts were not successful. As far as the episode itself, I did enjoy it. I thought it was funny. Um, I, I have a couple of questions, though. It, it would be interesting to talk to um, David Garrison, if we ever could, just to see how they how this was, was pitched to him. I'm curious if it was pitched as, hey, you're going to appear in this one-episode pilot type thing called Radio Free True Maine, and then if the reviews are good and ratings are good and things like that, we may do a full spinoff and you might be one of the leads of the series. Or if it was pitched as a one-time thing uh, just to kind of help spearhead it and get it going. Because it certainly seemed like uh, Steve Rhodes' character was in deep trouble there at the end. The crowd turned against him and they were, you know, they had pitchforks and signs and everything and they were carrying him off there. So I don't know. I, I would be It would be interesting to know what their long-term plan was uh, if they actually did the full spinoff and, you know, if this actually went somewhere. But that would be, uh, you know, something to talk to David Garrison about possibly. But uh, yeah, I, I liked it. Uh, I did enjoy it. I laughed a lot. Uh, you know, I have a lot of questions that always, but by the way, why was Marcy up at the school looking for April? <laughs> do, do bank managers go up to their students' school looking for them? I don't know. I used to work at a bank and I never had that happen, but I thought that was weird. But at any rate, I did want to drop by uh, just briefly to give my thoughts on the episode. I did enjoy it. Uh, like I said, I, I, I don't think it's a masterpiece or a Hall of Fame episode or anything like that. But comparatively speaking, uh, I feel like this is by far the, the best of the, of the three spinoff attempts, uh, which is not saying a whole lot. But <laughs> I do laugh fairly frequently during this episode, during Radio Free Trumaine. It was great to see David Garrison back one final time in the series. You know, it's a bit somber because it's his final appearance, but uh, it was nice to see him back one final time. Uh, it was cool to see uh, Carrie Russell in this episode, uh, in you know my certainly my first uh, memory ever. And overall, I liked the episode, and I'm going to give it a three out of five. So that's my uh, my thoughts on it, and 
I know I know that's probably going to be an unpopular opinion, but hey, that's my thoughts. And uh, leave your thoughts down in the comment section. Let's see what everyone thinks. But I like it. Okay, and that's it for this week's episode of the Married for Children podcast, being broadcast this week as WMWC Radio. Hey, Jerry, thanks so much. I mean, I can't, I can just say in behalf of the Married with Children podcast fans, I, it was really an honor and privilege to be able to speak to you. And uh, I know that it was a real thrill today for the audience to get to hear your review of uh, this episode with David Garrison. I, I, I wouldn't have done it and I couldn't have done it, you know, unless you were available. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Thank you for having me. I'm always glad to come back on with uh, Married with Children, and uh, I'll try to show up. Even if I don't show up for like another episode review, I will show up somewhere on a Married with Children podcast before it's all said and done. Um, but of course, I had to come here for Steve. I didn't. I, I haven't missed a Steve episode yet. I'm not going, so I couldn't miss it. Um, thank you for working around my schedule. I, I do appreciate that. And uh, for all the Mary with Children fans, thank you for keeping the show alive. Uh, it's great to see that the show is still going on. I love that it's still running. And uh, keep, keep that Steve alive in your heart. And just remember that the Steve we saw today, that's not the real Steve. We know the real Steve. Amen. Amen. So next week on the Married with Children podcast, Team Australia and myself will be reviewing Shoeless Al. An insurance agent is assigned to make sure Al is afraid to wear shoes to collaborate his lawsuit against the mall that claims he is afraid of shoes after being tied up by a burglar while at work. But Al must decide between the money from the settlement or winning a bowling championship when he's not allowed to bowl barefoot. We have the return of one of my most favorite minor characters of all time, at least by mention, of Puggy Weaver. Again, that's Shoeless Al. So, thank you again for joining us, and many thanks again to Jerry. WMWC Radio has been simulcast today on our sister station, Cave Fossil. This is Luigi, the fifth monkey, heading home to his depressing studio apartment on the Poe side of town. Tune in again next week. Same Bundy time, same Bundy channel. The producers gave Garrison a sentimental send-off. They gave me a huge photograph. Uh, it was actually a mugshot from one episode where Steve had been arrested uh, with a, a bloody lip. It was a mugshot, and they wrote across it, and you're going to have to bleep this for your audience. Uh, gotta sing, gotta dance, gotta fucking starve to death. <laughs> Six a.m.